Love Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday, that's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, thank you, Katie. Welcome, everyone, to Standing on My Soapbox. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and it's Tuesday, April 16th, 2019. Uh, my handsome and talented co-host, Mr. Craig Hurley, is still in the throes of moving. So I believe in just a little bit we're going to have... As a second day in a row, special guest co-host, his lovely fiance, Miss Katie Barberi, will be joining us in just a few minutes. We hope you'll take some time to give us a call uh, today and every day, Monday through Friday, from 1 to 2 Pacific Time, 4 to 5 Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, sitting on my soapbox, you can give us a call at 347 and today with Katie on, we could even take calls in Spanish. Da, da, da. So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to get some things started until we get Katie to call in here. Uh, it'll be just a couple moments for her. But let's uh, go ahead and get things moving. So how is all your days out there? I hope everything is coming along great this week. It has been uh, full of stuff. Of course, we had... The Notre Dame Cathedral happened yesterday, so we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, but let's go ahead and welcome to the show, Miss Katie Barberi. Katie, how are we doing? Hello, my dear. We are good. Thank you so much for having me again. Um, well, thanks for being our are... special co-host two days in a row. Well, thank you. If you hear things moving around behind me, it's Craig moving stuff. We are right in that vibe right now so i'm going to go ahead and and co-host with your permission and with the listeners permission and uh craig should me should be back on tomorrow with you there you go i told them i already talked to them and said if they want for today only they could even call in and give us questions in spanish we might be able to answer yes fantastic yeah. So we made it How through the you? throws. I'm doing good. It's a, it's a nice day. It's a beautiful day here in Northeast Ohio. It's a get things kind of done day. I've been inspired by you and Craig getting all your collectibles together. And I've had my dad's coin collection in the in a closet in the room of all places since he passed away. Oh, and wow. I decided I need to get this thing out and inventory it and get it up to someone who can kind of appraise it and see what we need to do and get it in a safe deposit box. So I started going to that a little bit today. And it's just, it's a lot of coins to write down all the numbers, but I found a couple of fun things. He has a three-legged, pretty damn good condition Buffalo nickel from 1937 that I looked up that's worth somewhere around $1,000 and up. Lordy. In the that is closet. fantastic. Yeah, that is no. that is what is called found money. Absolutely. Exactly. And He's got yeah, those coin collections. Congressional coin set worth 
$495. He's got a couple gold pieces in there. And I just had it in the back of the closet for about three years. So yeah, I think absolutely. It's time to, no, uh, and it, they, they are fantastic for any kind of rainy day. They sure are. All that, all that found money, the treasures that one has in the back of their closet. And, you know, for us in this process, yeah, we found a lot of stuff. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's, I highly recommend that one do this, one get these items to appraisers when one does not need to do it. When it's right. just something, you know what I mean? Because people have a tendency to really wait until they're in a situation where they might have to deal with the wrong dude um, who's going to take advantage and, um, right. you know, that, that happens, that happens when you're going precisely through that rainy day and you start looking through your, the, the, you know, the back of your proverbial closet, whatever that may be, wherever you may, you may have that, uh, that money that you're hoping is there, the found money so that you can take care of yourself and the people that are relying on you. And, uh, sometimes because we wait instead of doing it when it doesn't need to be done. Uh, when it doesn't need right. to be done, it's the right time to do it. When you're very comfortable and you're calm and everything's great and you're not going through, you know, a rainy day is the time to get these items appraised. Not necessarily sold, appraised. You know, you can right. hold on to it. But you don't want to be, you don't want to be, you know, trying to figure out what something is worth when you need money. You don't want to be oh. doing that. Sometimes it works out really well. A lot of the time it doesn't because it's like these guys can just smell fear and smell desperation right. and smell concern and smell, you know, economic issues. They can smell it. So, you know, not everybody is pawn stars. Not everybody is, you know, you're not going to walk in with something. I remember I, I saw one of the, we love pawn stars, by the way, and we love American pickers and all those shows. And it's, it's just really interesting right. to see what people, because I mean, we're chill compared to Craig and I are chill compared to some people. I mean, you, you see on American, on American <laughs> pickers. Oh my God. They have all this property. They've got, you know, two acres and they have sheds that were built precisely to house their crap. And so you see, and the crap is not housed nicely. A lot of the time, you know, you see Mike and Frank kind of trudging over, you know, piles of, Oh my God, God knows what. And you're just ready for something out to just reach out and grab one of their ankles. You know what I mean? It's just terrifying. <laughs> so we don't have a situation like that at all, but you know, people, it's really interesting to see what they have. But I remember this one episode of Pond Stars, this woman walked in with what looked like, um, I wish I had exactly, uh, you know, cause now I'm going to tell the end of this story and, and, and the, not the dad, not the, not the old, old guy, but the, but the, the one I can't, Oh, I'm so sorry. I can't think of his name. The, the, the bald gentleman who's actually, he's the owner. I would say he's the owner of Pond Stars. And he's really great. And he knows a lot about pretty much everything when it comes to antiquities. And she walked in and she wanted like 35 bucks for what she thought was a little ladybug pendant. But it, and he said, I would love to give you 35 bucks for this. And he was just looking at it. He said, but I can't because it's such and such uh, from... I believe it was from Britain. I wish I had the information in front of me, but I didn't know we were going to talk precisely about this. And he said, this is worth somewhere between fifteen and $1,700. So, you know, oh you get goodness. a guy like that who is, is, you know, who seems like a very, very decent guy just in and of himself, but who also has cameras following him all over the place. And, uh, right. and, and you get a guy like that, well, he's going to be honest. But, you know, you need money, and you're, you're down to going into a pawn shop and trying to pawn, 
you know, some piece of, uh, some, some piece of anything to try to get some money and you've got something there that's worth something, um, you know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble if you're dealing with somebody who's shysty. Rick, Rick is his name. Um, and uh, he's the owner of, of Pawn Stars. And uh, he, he runs, yeah, he runs a, he runs a, a pretty nice, a pretty nice place, but it shouldn't be indicative to people. I just give them, you know, fair warning, you know, Rick and Corey, his son, and then, and then Chumley, who's Corey's best friend. And, and uh, I think it's, they call him pops or grandpa. I don't know, but anyway, uh, Rick's dad, you know, this is not indicative of everybody. Not everybody has that honor code and not everybody has cameras following them around all over the place where they have to be, you know, they right. have to be honorable. So be careful, you know, and have things appraised. If you think something is worth money, have it appraised when you do not need it appraised when you are chill, spend the 25 bucks or the 50 bucks or whatever it is that they ask for. Um, when you're not, when you, when you, when you don't, when you don't need it. And that way, you know, when you can spare it and you don't need it and you don't plan to sell the item. And then when that rainy day comes, which we're humans and it always does, uh, you know, um, you, you have, you have that item and you already know what you can get for it. And you already, it's, it's like an insurance policy of, of, of some sort. Right. You know? If you do it ahead of time like that, like you said, you have that time where you can actually go, and have it appraised to two people because you never know if you get if you're going on the yellow page. Or, yeah, I don't think people have yellow exactly, pages anymore. Exactly. If you're going well, you know, off the internet, in... right? Go ahead. Yeah, just like you, like you said, if you if you if you just look someone up and you don't know anyone and can't recommend somebody, if you don't live in Vegas where Pawn Stars is done, and you don't know yeah. who's around there, go to two different people and see exactly. what they see if it's comparable or something. If, you exactly, can take the time exactly. to do it, like you said, when you know, because that way you know if someone's a little uh, more honest than the other. If they're both together, then you know the next time you go out that this is what it's being. Don't take any less than that, uh, even though right. things do Absolutely. fluctuate back and forth, obviously. Absolutely. But. Absolutely. Right. I'd like to give a, a shout out to Leonard Auctions here in, in Addison um, with a couple of items that I asked them about and that I, I, uh, I needed some information on and that I was eventually worked with them on these items. Uh, they were just amazing. They were really, really amazing and, and really nice. uh, straightforward, very, very cool people. So I thought I'd say thank you to them and also to American Heritage auctioneers who they first appraised my items and they were like, well, these aren't exactly right for us, but we recommend these guys. And that was Leonard Auctions. Oh, great. Awesome. So, yeah, so if you're in Chicago, yeah. I think these are very trustworthy guys. So what else is going on Very cool. Well, we got so much going on in the news. I mean, luckily we found out that the uh, uh, Notre Dame Cathedral is not a total loss, like some were claiming yeah, was going to happen yesterday. Yeah, the main structure was saved. It was very close to that, but it did not go through. Um, right. And all of a sudden they have all these people coming out of the woodwork to donate to get it restored, which is so amazing. Um, it's funny though because the the people that have been raising funds to get this, because they think the reason it started was some renovation they were in the currently doing, and maybe a spark happened or something and they caught it on fire. So they think it was part of the renovation, but they've been trying forever to get sixty million, sixty million with an M, euros together. To do this yep. restoration, and they've been fighting it hard. They made about twenty million, uh, forty million so far, and twenty million was supposed to be coming over the next decade. They thought, and so they were having a hard time. All of a sudden, this happens, 
and people are coming out of the woodwork and they're like, where were these people before? But we really need to shout out a couple of great people. They have um, a French billionaire, Bernard Arnault. Uh, he yes, owns Electric that's, that's LVMH. 200 million euros. Can you believe that? 200 Which million is roughly euros. 300 million dollars. Exactly. Roughly $300 million. Yeah, that's that's Salma's husband, Francois Henry Penault, that owns Caring with the Penault. I thought you were talking about Penault. What does he do? They did $100 million. Um, The owner of L'Oreal Cosmetics and also they own a French energy company called Total. They're doing $100 million for each. So they've got $500 million in less than a day when they couldn't raise $40 million or $60 million in 10 years. If all of a sudden goes, so it's well, you know, Craig been, says that. Craig says that all the time about. Uh, Craig says that all the time about about his project for floodwater relocation program. Craig wants to Craig wants to relocate floodwater from places that are flooded uh, through uh, through pipelines through water pipelines using the uh, using the system that already exists in the United States um, for 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 uh, for distributing water. But, you know, right. everybody keeps telling him, well, who's going to pay for that? And that won't work because of this and that. And he always says the same thing. They're going to wait until there's no water and they need it and it's an emergency. And then they're going to authorize a project like this, which actually Bill Maher was, exactly did right. talk about it. Right. He did talk about it with uh, Bill Nye, the science guy, one day. And, and Bill Nye said that he was not sure about whether or not a water pipeline would be viable, but that it's already been seen, done, I believe, between Nevada and, and California. Anyway, my point was, with regard to Notre Dame, that, yes, uh, uh, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the executives in charge of, of its renovation was saying that he was extremely frustrated because they couldn't raise $40 million before, and now this has happened. They exactly people wait. It's it's the great it's the great condition of procrastination, that is a human condition that we all suffer from. They wait until it's too it's almost too late or it is too late to fix a problem that could have been. That's why I'm saying take your treasures to an appraiser when you don't need to do it. Don't wait. Don't wait on everything until the procrastinating causes so many problems. At the end of the day. For anybody that that is out there that likes to procrastinate and wait until the last minute to take care of any given problem, um, you've created ten more problems by not taking care of the problem when you needed to. So yeah. I would not consider myself because that's how it work works. I would not consider myself to be a procrastinator. I'm neither lazy nor am I a procrastinator. I get it done, hopefully in a timely fashion. But I have been in my life. Uh, a bit bamboozled by procrastinators who uh, create create another ten problems while they're while while they're waiting to make a decision while they're waiting to be comfortable with making a decision about any given issue. So um, you know, for so that's that's the frustration that I think this gentleman has, uh, who is in charge right. of the restoration of, of Notre Dame. It's like, guys, thank you so much, but I needed it yesterday. You know what I mean? I needed it the day before. Exactly. And. Uh, yeah, it's the great, it's the grand procrastination. It's, it's, and and on a level like that, when you're talking about donations, it's all the red tape, 
and all the all of the issues of well exactly you know what which portion of this donation is going to be tax deductible and where would I deduct it and a series of things and time goes on and on and on and on and then you have a situation like this so don't wait if you've got something you know you need to take care of take care of it take care of it so that 10 more problems are not created in its wake you know Right. And it goes back to, I mean, it shows another thing too. We talked about yesterday on tax day, we talked about fair share and everything. If these people have this much to throw at something in an emergency, can you imagine if they plan for something, if these millionaires and billionaires in the United States plan for curing homelessness or hunger, or we have all this money laying around because by the grace of God, we give them all these great options and taxes and not having to pay a dime. But all of a sudden, when, it, when an emergency comes up, we have all this money to do it. But why not try to fix the problem as we go along so Absolutely. we don't have emergencies pop up? Absolutely. And can you imagine having $600 million to spend on any given issue of some kind that you can raise in less than a day? It would be amazing. Yeah, that would be <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great, but I, I sure am happy for for you know for for the for the for for the for the people in, involved in and and affected by uh, this 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 very sad happenstance with uh, with Notre Dame Cathedral, and I'm glad that they're they are raising the money as fast as they are, and and it's going to be restored and just uh, more beautiful if it was before. I'm sure they're going to do a fantastic job, so that's great. That's great to see people stepping out. And then it's just amazing because Salma's husband can donate $200 million. That's who this, that's, that's who this former telenovela star is married to. It's just unbelievable. Um, Isn't that wild? She, yeah, Salma is, Salma is one of the most focused human beings that I have ever come across. She just simply knew what she wanted and she went for it. And uh, you have to have a particularly it's either it's either that you're completely delusional or it's or you just simply are able to convince people that this extraordinary uh, um, self um, it's there is a word that I'm looking for and I'm not finding it. It's self-esteem, but it's a self-confidence that you have you absolutely should have because you are all those things that you profess to be. You know, it's either, it's either that, you're, that you're delusional or if you can convince people that you're not, then you can achieve these massive, massive goals that this woman has achieved. And I truly admire her because beyond, you know, being a, a great beauty and beyond being a, a really, really good, good actress, you know, with a lot of, she's also a fantastic producer and, and, and all of these things, but above and beyond that, she is an extraordinary businesswoman. And that is something to truly admire. And I'm not sure, you know, to, to be on that level, to be on Salma's level, to be on the level of a Madonna, you know, these women that just uh, reinvent themselves over and over and over again, and just have this extraordinary ability to continue their their careers. It's something to really, uh, to really admire. And then I really um, appreciate when I'm, I'm looking for inspiration to move forward. I look to these ladies and, and, and I'm always watching interviews. I'm always watching uh, interviews on, on television, on late night, love Seth Meyers, love Colbert, love, you know, these talk show hosts who I think are so brave 
and they're getting out there and, and, and leading in a lot of ways. But I'm always looking for, I also like to watch Ellen's interviews because she's very, very good and a masterclass with Oprah. And they ask the right questions. I'm always trying to figure out when you see greatness in front of you, when you see success on a level that is, you know, that is, is, is something, you know, we can all do whatever we want in this life. You just have to find, um, like, like they said on This Is Us, find the door. Find that door and walk through it. You, you have to do that. So I'm always looking when I watch these interviews of anyone that I admire for whatever reason. Um, I'm looking to try to see what makes them tick. And right. what I see, what I've always seen commonly happening with all of them is that there's a lack of insecurity. They just have a calm in their, in their interior, in their beings, in their souls um, that allows them to elevate to other opportunities on this planet that so many people don't get. So that's the thing that I've seen is a common ground with these people is that they're extraordinarily comfortable in their skin and they've never heard you can't, or if they have heard you can't, they don't hear it, you know? So I, um, right. I, I, I think, yeah, I think that's the common ground. And for Mexican actresses, certainly Salma is. Is, uh, is, is an extraordinary example of that. She's just never... And they also seem to have a fantastic sense of humor, I found. They look at life through a, a kind of comedic lens. It, they just seem to get it. They get, they get what it is that you, that you need to get. And I think more than anything, it's, um, if, I, if I've looked at, at reading, um, you know, trying to remain in, in, in some level of spirituality when you're panicked or when your things aren't going well or whatever... Uh, the common ground that I find there is try to stay present and live in the present and find the humor in what you're going through, even if it seems horrible. And, you know, it, don't be afraid to be self-deprecating with the situation. They say that comedy and they say that comedy is, is formed with time and tragedy. Time and tragedy create comedy. Right. Because you can talk about like um, this gentleman that was in um, the Book of Mormon He's such a fantastic actor, um, but beyond that, he is a, he was on Girls. He is a brilliant. You never want to miss an interview um, with with this guy. I'm looking him up right now. He has was that Andrew Reynolds. Yes, Andrew Reynolds, and he um, he has the most self deprecating humor. And he just wrote a book about it's covering I think from his adolescence to the first Broadway show that he booked, which was Hairspray. And he looks back on all of his anxiety and all of his angst and all of his concerns with a sense of humor. And he, he relates it to you. And the, and, the, and the underlying message for all of us, I think, is always to say, you know, don't worry. It seems very, very upsetting and it seems very tragic and, and insurmountable in the moment. But you'll see that you know, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great if you follow your heart and you follow your, your instincts. Always listen to your gut. Your gut won't fail you um, about, about any given subject. And know, know your worth. Know your worth. Um, and that's the common ground that I've, that I've seen with these people. But anyway, I think I got onto that because of Salma, and she's always been all of that. You know, anytime you interview her, you see somebody who just, she yeah, just she's knows amazing. who she is. And, and she does have that business sense, and she talked about it in a lot of different ways, and she is just the real deal, very authentic, which is what you really want in a person is authenticity. Well, that's and she's true. A very Absolutely. Person. Well, that, but that's the thing, though. It's all, it all, it's, it's all encompassing because if you're looking at a person who's, who's authentic, you're looking at a person who, who lacks 
insecurities, you know, who is comfortable in their own skin. That is that authenticity. So, uh, yeah, it's, I, I, those, those are the people that inspire. So it's great that they donated to, uh, to the cathedral. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's very cool and we'll see what happens. Hopefully it'll, uh, they'll get it together here soon. Uh, luckily a lot of the stuff was taken out. I don't think they lost one of the windows, but they kept one of those rose windows that we talked about yesterday. The, I guess there's like a South Rose window and a North Rose window and the, they were able to save the North one, which is supposed to be one of the nicer ones of the four. And a lot of the uh, uh, stuff they were able to get out in the structure of the inside structure was relatively saved. The outside tall buildings of the spire was gone. All the wood parts, they're going to have to redo the wood roof because it wasn't made out of wood. It was hard cedar uh, planks. You're going to have to redo that, but, uh, that can all be redone. So the, the stone structs yeah. on the inside well, those were the, and the, those inside were the windows that will be okay. Right. Awesome. And those were the windows that Mama Linda was talking about. They were. That's what Mama Linda yeah. saw when she was there back in the 60s, back in the in day. In the 60s. Wow. It's incredible. When she it's was, incredible. I she love was it. a road warrior living in London for, I think she was there for six months or a year. I forget which. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's definitely bucket list for me. I've always said Craig does not want to do that plane ride. He's he's not particularly fond of airplanes. Neither am I actually. I think it's just the lack of the lack of control. How you have to relinquish control about your person, your body, and put it in the hands right. of uh, mechanics and whoever's at the helm. Um, it's it's always scary for me, and I know, I know that I know that it's silly. You know, turbulence is is it's not dangerous. It's not any of those things, but neither one, we both kind of suck at flying, but Craig just a little more than, than I do. But, um, he's, uh, he's, he's always said that he does not want to make that trip because he's, he does not want to be on that plane for the ride. Uh, but I've always said that if we, we, if we take him to Europe, he's not going to come back. That it's just exactly his <laughs> kind of place to be. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, that's uh, that kind of bohemian, bohemian lifestyle and people not taking themselves, quite as seriously and respecting the art and a series of things um, I think would be right up his alley. So we'll have to give him a a horse tranquilizer coming up here and put him on a plane. (laughs) (laughs) Something. No, she had a great, my mom is, when she was a young girl, my mom just did so many amazing things. And uh, this trip to London was one of them. And she had lunch with dukes and duchesses and earls and went marketing and went to all these places there. And she was, um, she was something else. She would hang out with all these people back in Southern California. Um, and she would go, uh, she dated John Derrick before he married Bo Derrick for a while. <laughs> she uh, hung out wow. with uh, all these other people down there. And she was, she was just a little thing back in the day. Now at 80 wow. years old, she, I can't get her out of the chair in the living room half the time, but she was a go-getter back well, in the yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. It, it happens. It happens to the best of us. But that's fantastic. That's what life is about, is creating memories and doing, doing, uh, doing extraordinary things. You know, don't do the ordinary. Do the extraordinary. Okay. Don't be afraid. At the end of the day, um, you know, they say that at the end of our lives, we will regret the things that we didn't do, not the things that we did. That doesn't mean hurt anyone. And it doesn't mean, you know, um, willfully uh, hurt anyone's life or anyone's heart or anyone's soul. But, uh, you know, that's, that's not what that means. 
It means when you're, when you're taking, when you're taking a risk in your own life, don't be afraid to take it. At the end of the day, you're, you're going to, you're going to regret more, you know, the risks that you didn't take. Absolutely. Exactly. Because we run uh, out of time. What else? What else we want to go on? Anything on your hot button list here before I pull something else up out of the air? Well, you know, I, I, and I didn't see it, but you were, I saw somewhere in the notes about Bernie Sanders. He did a, he did a, a town hall on Fox. He did a town hall on Fox yesterday, which was kind of surprising. The first one, that's I fantastic. Think it's good. I think yeah. it's fantastic. I, I actually am a little upset that the Democrats have um, ace Fox News out of any debates this year, supposedly. Hope they'll read back and do it. I think that's bad judgment on their part. I think just because you disagree with someone politically, you shouldn't give the option to give all your candidates every forum out there. And good for Bernie Sanders for going on Fox News or Fox News Channel to have this town hall. And well, you know, Bill Maher has really Bill Maher has really been asking all Democratic candidates to go on Fox News. I remember seeing an interview once with uh, Barack Obama where he said, "If I watch Fox News, I wouldn't have voted for me either." That it's not that there is that there is not uh, objectivity, unfortunately, and I and I think that. The same thing can probably be said of someone who watches MSNBC, you know, with regard to the right. You know, everybody has their point of view, but right. you know, definitely these cable these cable companies. I don't. I think CNN tries to stay a little more neutral. I I, I believe that they definitely lean left, but you know, some uh, MSNBC leans even more. Um, and then Fox yeah. News is this, is this, you know far right, what is viewed as far right, and you you've got it's the conservative commentators. And that's what uh, people are being fed all day long. And really people, I mean, people don't want to argue with the television and I understand that they don't want to be challenged. They just want to hear more of what they believe. But when, when that happens, you don't grow, you know, if you don't get another point of view, you don't grow. I just personally, I mean, I, I, for me, it's been really, really, really hard because I, uh, kind of in, uh, inherited uh, Republican, you know, the Republican status. That was the political party that I belonged to. And uh, it wasn't right. anything that I ever really questioned for a lot of reasons. It's just what my family was. And, and you know, I went to Christian schools all my life. So that's, you know, that, that would fall in line with it. Um, but I just sure. started questioning uh, uh, later on. I started questioning and I, and I, you know, so I, I don't know that I can be told that I didn't give uh, the right wing point of view an opportunity. Uh, the, the far right, you know, I'm conservative on certain on certain levels. But I, I mean, but but I, I found I found a lack of empathy and a lack of compassion of late in the Republican Party, which concerns me. Nonetheless, you know, we right. have to listen to both sides. It's important to listen to both sides, you know. So I think it's great that he was on there. And I read somewhere in the notes where he actually got people to applaud and there wasn't, it wasn't as, it wasn't as aggressive maybe as he thought it was going to get. I have to watch it. I haven't watched it. But it wasn't as aggressive as, as one might think it would have gotten, Correct. Yeah, he got an applause line for, of all things, on Fox News for Medicare for All. Um, and, and the crowd was all for it. And you don't expect that coming from a well, Fox they, News Well, see, that's crowd. the thing. And, and Craig will, you know, Craig always, Craig always, you know, kind of 
he creates thought with his what might be viewed as an extremist point of view, but really he's just trying to get people to think. He would he he would say right now Medicare, Social Security, uh, guys, that's socialism. But it's socialism handled up until now. You know, there, we need more of it, and we need we need we need we need it for everyone. But up until now, it's been no one seems to have any problem with it. They, on the contrary, we all need it. And we all, you know, we all we all respect it, and we respect uh, the 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 uh, the organization of the government that way. That 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 older older people are are allowed their their social security, they're allowed their Medicare, a series of things. We just have to carry it out into other groups. Um, and and it, and it is it's socialism, but socialism, not all of it is bad. You know what I mean? I just remember I remember having a dear friend who was. Uh, who was from Switzerland. Her, her, she was, uh, her father was, no, I'm sorry, her mother was Mexican and her father was from Switzerland and she lived in Switzerland. Her name was Corinne. And she would tell me about the, uh, the, 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 the ways and the way that the government is handled. And I, I think 40% of her taxes, 40% of her family's taxes were taken. Uh, but everything was paid for their, 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 uh, healthcare, their, their education, there any any of the things that we're arguing about all the time they they were there you know they were paid for and then the rest of the money was there it's to use uh, whatever way they chose i guess but um you know i understand that these are smaller countries and that that is a big argument that some of these countries uh in europe that do have kind of this sovereign point of view about um well well controlled and well governed uh socialism they are smaller countries and that doing it um, on this level of the United States would be, you know, difficult, but it's not, that doesn't mean that it's not doable. It just means that it needs to be organized the right way. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that, that Bernie Sanders did get that applause. I think Bernie Sanders is, is a fantastic candidate. I think a lot of people were very disappointed that he was not the candidate before, um, for the Democratic right. Party. I think that that's clear, you know, that a lot of people were disappointed. I think it's going to depend a lot on the running mate. Be it Bernie Sanders or be it whoever who ends up being the, the Democratic candidate. I think the ticket in and of itself, the two people running, is what's going to create confidence or not. In, in, yeah, uh, I agree in, with you 100% in this, on that. Yeah, in this next election. I don't think, I don't think that... Whoever they put forth as a Democratic candidate, and there's there's an interesting list building up, I'll tell you. It's going to be very important that the running mate be uh, who that person needs to be, truly, so that it creates um, uh, confidence in, in the voters of, of, a, of a very balanced point of view about government. Like one, one's going to have to pull a little bit more, you know, toward right or, or center right. Uh, then the then the candidate, the vice president would have to do that, or vice versa, so that it's not scary for people who have these concerns. And I think it's uh, it's going to be extremely important. You can't have you can't have two people who are too far left. You can't have two people who are too far center right. I mean uh, center left. You've got to have you've got to have a balance, and it's it's got to be. You can't have two people who look like they they might kick it. <laughs> you can't have that either. You can't right, have, right, you know, right. You need, you know, you need that perfect balance of, 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 of uh, you know, of, of experience and, and youthful vigor 
and fresh ideas. You need all of that in that ticket. And I, it's going to be extremely important. One without the other is not going to work. It's just not going to hey, work. Hey, Craig called in on his phone too. I have another caller on the line, but it looks like his number. I can't tell. Uh, I don't know if he's calling in. I'm actually not in the room. Let me bring it in. Let's see. Okay. Hey, caller, you're on the air. Scott, who's that? Who who would you think it was? (laughs) I thought it was your number. I'm listening to you guys talk about Bernie Sanders. I thought it was you, and I didn't know if you were just listening or if you wanted to actually talk. Are you just listening in while Uh, you're working? I I, I was just listening while I was working, yes. But um, I'm more than, you know, willing to talk. I don't, I don't have a problem talking. We miss you, baby. Do you? Yeah. you miss me? Yes, but don't get too close Thoughts to me and prayers. I hear you Thoughts and I hear and you prayers go out, to, go out to Notre Dame. Okay. Notre Dame Cathedral. Thoughts and prayers. Yes. They are, they are taking care of it. They are doing more than thoughts and prayers, <laughs> my love. They are actually taking care of it. Please, I, please don't get too, too close to my proximity because then I hear you in stereo but delayed. Which is a horrifying okay. experience when you're well, doing the a podcast. Is, does everybody else? What's that? Does everybody else hear me in delay? You need to stay no. two floors away from each other. That's the rule. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Keep your distance, Bucko. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> very, What's going very on, cool. Scrap? I thought it was your. So yeah, if you. Yeah, I thought um, it was your number, but I would just keep it on hold just in case you were just listening. Yeah, no, I, I, I Well, I, I am certainly but... glad that it was him because if we would have finally had a caller and it was while I was co-hosting, I think he would have ruptured something. So no, I'm I would have just... glad that it's... It, that's fine. I, I wish people would, you know, call in when you're on the I, air. Yeah, absolutely. You give a different absolutely. point of view than, than I do. Well, you know, and Scott was saying that we could hablar en español, which, you know, um, would be fantastic for, for, for us, but maybe not Yeah, so you could for... simulcast. We could simulcast. I gave the listeners Absolutely. a one-time only option of asking questions in Spanish today. <laughs> and so we know Katie. <laughs> nice. It's a limited yeah, edition Scott, offer here. Scott Grimes and I got into, Scott Grimes and Mackenzie Aston and I got into a little Twitter war this morning um, because I tweeted, I was just so happy. Got I don't a bunch know of pictures know, in it, too. I don't know if you know how many, um, how many, okay. So Craig's moving while we're doing this. I can hear you. Uh, We, um, so I don't know how many people know who Mackenzie Aston is. Mackenzie Aston is a brilliant actor. He's the son of John Aston. And uh, what, what's that? I'm going to turn him off one second. Turn him down for a second. Okay. All right. Go ahead and talk, Katie. I turned off his volume. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. So it was what's going on. See, I'm not, I, I'm far away. I am far away. I, I'm not privy. Um, but Mackenzie Aston is a fantastic actor. He is the son of John Aston and um, Anna. Anna is, is her name, but she is known to everyone as, as Patty Duke. May she rest in peace. One of the most extraordinary women I had the great pleasure of meeting and hanging out with. And Mac was actually my boyfriend when we were kids. And he was on, uh, he was on the Orville with Scott and Scott actually, I mean, we have known each other for a ridiculously long amount of time. I mean, since we were very, very young adolescents, we've known each other and we grew up together. And so I tweeted, um, you know, that I was so happy to see him on the show with Scott and 
ironically, or maybe not so ironically at all. I haven't talked to them personally yet to see how that went down. But um, Mac was playing like a lifelong friend of Scott's on the Orville. I don't know if you've seen that episode yet, but it's really good. It's, I have not. Uh, it's, okay. So it's a friend that was, it's a friend that, um, okay. Um, Craig is asked to be unmuted. Um, uh, so Mac, Mac plays a character that Scott's character had not seen in many, many years. And he had presumed him to be dead. He was captured. We're talking about on, garbage bail kids on a separate planet. We are not yet. Anyway, we're not Mac talking about I, garbage bail kids. No, we're not because Mac and I would really like it to go away, but it just never has. You can't. Mac it never did, will. It never no, will. Mac and I did. We did the garbage bail kids movie when we were, when we were, I think Mac was 15 and I was 16 when we did the Garbage Pail Kids movie. And we were actually, at least we started dating at the time. And then we were, I think we were too young to be working with each other on a set. And so that did not work out. But we, we were dating when we started the show, or when we started the movie. And we just got reamed. This was, this was in 1980. Wait a minute. So I was 15 and I was 15 and he was 15 or 14, whatever. Anyway, we were kids. And we were working on this movie, and we just got reamed, and they call it the worst, you know, several critics called it the worst movie of 1987, and it was just awful, and it was so hard for us to deal with. But now it has this tremendous cult following. So it's had this resurgence. And <laughs> Mac, and I were, Mac and I were chatting on, on, on Twitter one day on private message, and I said, it never goes away. He said, it never goes away. <laughs> but um, this morning, I had, I had tweeted a picture of, of Mac and Scott for you know the Orville and I had said it's so so great to have seen them on the show and I did like a split picture of Mac and Scott when they were the age you know the, when we were growing up together and then a picture of them from from uh, you know from a shot from the Orville and Mac got back to me on Twitter um, and said wasn't that amazing and Scott and I talked about everything and we reminisced and we also talked about you and how you're killing it in the in the telenovela market and so it's so awesome to see you on here and yeah it was a lot of fun and then Scott got on and said I don't know who either one of you is uh, who either one of you are and please stay off of my feet thank you so I responded to him I responded to him in Spanish and I said, eh, tengo otra, oh, because the end of Mac's tweet was in Spanish. And so he was showing me that he can speak Spanish now. And so I tweeted to Scott, tengo otras palabras en, en español que puedo decir, por ejemplo, um, historias bochornosas de tu infancia, which means I have other words in Spanish that I can say, like, for instance, embarrassing childhood stories. And then Scott oh. tweeted back, I enjoy eggs as well, but I don't know how that's relevant. And so, which means, of course, that he had absolutely no idea what he was reading. And I said, I didn't say anything about huevos, but I can. And I'm going to leave it at that because the word huevos actually does not just mean eggs. It means other things in Spanish as well. But since he brought up eggs, I said, I, you don't know who I am. That's fine. Um, I, I also have some things that I could say about huevos. Anyway, so that was, that was a Twitter war that we were in this morning, which I'm pretty sure the Orville fans got quite a kick out of. Mackenzie was a bad guy in one of my favorite shows, The Magicians, that are still on. And uh, I love I Mackenzie and The Magicians. It is a, you know, it's a fun sci-fi show, and uh, okay. I, I love it. It's a great show, but he played... A very bad 
demon, angel, hell, god type person. I don't remember what he was. But he played awesome. it very, very good as a very, well, very did. bad person. Yeah, Max he, he, Mac he, is Yeah, and he's got he's got that he's got that face and there's a lot of there's a lot of light behind you know, behind Mac has had a lot of life. I mean you can read you can read um, Anna's book, uh, Patty Duke's book, Call Me Anna, and you'll get a lot of information about Mac's childhood. And so he's, he's you know, he's, there's, something, there's something behind his eyes that shows a tremendous depth where he can play, you know, villains really, really well or people that, you know, haven't quite dealt with the situation the way that they needed to. He would know how to handle that. I haven't been able to, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him. We both are. Um, shortly and and so we can sit down and catch up and what have you but um he's somebody that's always had a very very deep soul and you need to be you need to have a lot of spiritual grounding and understand why people do the things that they do that are deemed villains in these types of shows or in any show i've played a lot of villainesses in in telenovelas and mostly it's just people who are in a lot of pain and don't know how to express that pain or who lack a, a level of spirituality. So I think Mac would understand a lot of that and, um, and, and would be very good at portraying, portraying a villain. When he was younger, he wasn't a villain. He was, a, he was a, a, a young leading man, and he did. He was on, I think he started on The Facts of Life. He played, I think the character's name was Andy on The Facts of Life. Back when, when they brought in George Clooney, they also brought in Mac's character and and then he did the Garbage Bill Kids movie, which was a mixed experience for both of us. Uh, and then he did, I think it was called Iron Will was another movie that he did, um, where he was, uh, he was, he was a young leading man. I mean, it was, it wasn't about, and I don't believe there was a romance, but it was, well, he's been very noble. And so many great things. He's been in a lot of great shows, obviously, as you yeah, both well, have. Yeah. I've, I've followed I mean, him quite a come bit. Come on. You're, when your parents are John Aston and, and Patty Duke, you're either going to inherit that or not, you know, and he absolutely did, along with his brother, Sean, who's also an extraordinary actor and just an amazing guy. Sean was Rudy, and Sean Rudy. was in The Goonies. Rudy. He's Rudy, yep. And he was in The Goonies, and uh, what else? Obviously, uh, Lord of the Rings, and which catapulted him into a very different place. And then uh, Sean most recently, I think, was on Stranger Things. I think that's his most recent credit where he played the boyfriend. He was such a sweetheart, that character. He played the boyfriend of uh, Winona Ryder's right. character. I love He's actually a recurring character right now with uh, Cal Penn on the Big Bang Theory as well. Who's He's that? Uh, Sean or there. Mac? Sean. Sean, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sean was, Sean, Sean's been doing this for a minute, and he also has that depth. They're just, they're, they, yeah, they inherited that, that talent. And uh, they're amazing. They're amazing guys, and they were amazing kids. And I, you know, they were a very, very big part, wonderful part of my of my childhood and my my adolescence. For those guys, they hold a very special place in my heart. But anyway, this that morning was all about awesome. you know dissing each other on Twitter in multiple languages. I love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so speaking of deaths. Um, uh, Kate McKinnon played Lori Laughlin on SNL. This past weekend, oh my God, that was funny. Did you see that? I have it, it on. Open. I have the tape. Let's go ahead and play it. We could talk over it, okay? Awesome. I have the whole awesome. skit on here. So this is a. Cool. I mean, great cast had Kate McKinnon playing Lori Laughlin. It had uh, Pete Davidson playing Michael Avenatti. 
and it had Michael yes. Keaton, who I absolutely adore, playing. He's wonderful. Um, oh God, he is so good in everything he does. But he was playing Julian Assange. Let's play. Does this is a Saturday Night Live cold open? We'll go ahead and talk over it here. Okay. MSNBC. Now that the Mueller report turned out to be a big fat zero, we're back to prison show. Right now, it's Lockup, Chino <laughs> Correctional Facility. <laughs> And hey, have fun. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate that. What you in here for? Little arm robbery. Ain't gonna stick, though. How about you, little man? The hell you just say? Hey, 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 hey. Both of y'all sit down. I'm in here for assault, bitch. You want a reenactment? Hey, hey, hey. hey. (laughs) Reenact by assault? What about you, old man? Old man. Son, I'm the craziest dude in here. Stabbed my neighbor to death. And then ate his fingers so they couldn't ID the body. Damn, that's wow. insane. Oh, yeah? You think that's insane? I paid 500 grand to get my daughter into USC. <laughs> You're so good. Yeah, hilarious. Wait, what? You heard Wait, me. What? I paid 500 crazy. grand to a women's crew coach to say my daughter was good at rowing. <laughs> I'm a loco. <laughs> You paid 500 grand for USC? Oh, yeah. That's not including the Yeah, that's what I've been saying the whole time. Oh, my God. What did your daughter major in? Communication. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And you know what her job is now? She's an influencer. <laughs> on Instagram. Stop it! I can't hear anymore. Stop Dog, it. get her away from me! Hey, I own the guards in here. I help their kids get into a really competitive pre-K. Wait, wait a second. Are you Aunt Becky? Oh, I'm not. that again. All right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Is it Lori? Do I call you Lori? No, no, I have a new name now. Brother Becky. Yes, Brother Wallace. You forgot your koofy. Oh, I did? Oh, well, to quote Stephanie Tanner, how rude. <laughs> Wait, so you're in the nation of Islam now? That's right. I bought my way in for a hundred grand. Just another hundred for them to stop calling me the white devil. Man, you won't survive in here more than a week. Oh, really? You think prison is hard? I have done 68 Hallmark movies. Nice, that's my favorite part. And in half those Hallmark movies, I marry Santa's son. So I have lost all sense of reality. Half of my Mary Santa's son. Take your heart, and I'm gonna cut it out. Damn, yo, I think being on sitcom for 12 years drove her crazy. Did somebody say crazy? Uh, Michael Alvinati? Oh, you're damn right, baby. Wait, how do you know this fool? Well, I watch a lot of Morning Joe. I'm Team Mika. Uh, you're not lawyers. What are you in here for? Speeding tickets? Speeding tickets? Bitch, I'm accused of crimes you can't even conceive of. Like blackmailing a sneaker company and stealing taxes from a coffee shop to fund a race car team. And oh, that's I'm so shady that a porn star once said that she needs right. to distance herself from me. That's and you know what the worst part is? I might still run for president. Avenatti Baldwin, 2020. Okay, he wouldn't get the craziest. Is he, though? Wow. 
Yo, oh my God, is that Julian Assange? Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I was going to say Santa's back on crack. Yeah. That's right, it's me. I'm the architect of anarchy. I'm the king of chaos. I'm the scourge of the cleaning staff at the Ecuadorian embassy. Yeah? What's the big deal? Old man doesn't look so tough. You want to throw down, amigo? You want to? I hope you're proud of every single photo in your archive, because boom, all your ding-dong pics just went on the internet. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you remember that notes folder you had? What was that called? Uh, ideas for Shark Tank. How, how'd you know about that? I know everything, baby. But my password has letters and numbers. <laughs> now, you sons of bitches. You want to hear how crazy I am? Here's how crazy I am. I'm wanted in the U.S. and Sweden. I'm from Australia. I live in London, in Ecuador. You try figuring that one out. <laughs> yeah, you cheat your schools and, you know, you rob your companies. That's cute. It is. Yeah. I've attacked the U.S. military, bitches. Because I'm an actual, actual James Bond supervillain. And I'm one step away from destroying the goddamn moon. So, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Okay, he wins. Thanks. I yield my time. Thank you. Is there a bathroom around Michael here? Michael, he's one of my favorite actors of all I time. I'm going to take a WikiLeaks. Michael, he's still, he's still. Yeah, it's over there in the corner. Yeah, but watch out for that dude, man, because he must be in here for something crazy. <laughs> oh, you, you, you mean Takashi Six Nine? Hey, Takashi, you in here for something crazy? Nah, just robbery and gun stuff. It's so big! Well, uh, hey, we may both regret this, but Takashi, do you need a lawyer? This <laughs> 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 is fun. That was a great bit. I love, I love that bit. Yeah, so no, no, much no. Fun. And, it, and it's, it's so funny because. You know, Lori Laughlin. It's uh, what? What? How would people react to that kind of very extreme thing that she did? You know, that's actually really scary <laughs> in this version of the skit because you know, I mean, she's paying, she's bribing five hundred thousand dollars so that uh, a crew captain will say that she's good at rowing, that her daughter is good at rowing. It's absolutely terrifying. I do not know what I still don't know what they were thinking. I really don't. And I, you know, these are these are two actresses that I respect. Um, I I thought it was interesting that that Felicity Huffman was noticeably absent from that skit, and I think that means right. that as you know, like you were saying, and I think like I was saying, Scott, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Craig was saying at one point, um, she's uh, Felicity Huffman. Neither did. Uh, anything as severe and has chosen to handle it. I believe she, she pleaded guilty and Lori Loughlin and her husband have just entered a plea of not guilty uh, is the latest that I heard. I don't know if that's changed, but that's the latest that I heard. And I, you know, Lori Loughlin is an actress that has been around for a very long time. This is a difficult career. It's tough. I believe Lori Loughlin uh, started on a soap opera. I don't, I, and I don't remember, was it Edge of Night or was it, uh, anyway, she started on the soap opera and then shortly after that was doing series. Um, and she's, uh, she's, she's she, uh, Ryan's Hope, I think is what Lori Laughlin was on. I could be wrong, but I believe 
she did start on a soap opera. And uh, she's worked very, very hard in her life. And I'm sorry to see this happen. I think that she was given some very bad advice. Um, right. And I hope that well, she's I not getting also more. Kate Mulgrew. I love Kate Mulgrew, too. I, she's one of my other favorite actresses. Oh, from Ryan's Hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, the, the, you know, soaps were fantastic. I'm, I'm sorry that the soap opera industry, there, there are only a few soaps left on television, and they still have a huge fan base. Um, and I, 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 you know, I would love to do one of them. I'm really excited about the, opportun- the, the prospect of the opportunity of doing one of them. Um, soap operas, back when I first started auditioning for them, were, you know, they, they were a prime source. Of, of work and, and, and training ground for actors and uh, just had a massive fan base and they were so huge. I mean, the whole Erica Kane, everything that Erica Kane did played by, of course, the extraordinary and incomparable Susan Lucci. And then the madness that happened with Luke and Laura, where they ended up on the cover of, I think it was time magazine or Newsweek, uh, Jeannie Francis right. and, uh, and Anthony Geary. And, you know, it's, I'd like to see it happen again, you know, with the soap opera genre for it to, for it to achieve that level of, of notoriety again. I'm not sure what's going on. I know that, um, that, that the industry has changed with regard to soap operas and that you have to kind of everything, everything shifts, but some of the, some of the most important actors in the industry, Many of the most important actors in the industry came out of the of the soap opera industry. That's where they that's where they were found. Uh, Judy sure Light, Glenn Close, you included, Meg Ryan. my dear. You included. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I I am you know I am Latin soap opera uh, genre telenovela, but I would lo- I would love I would love to do a soap opera. I think that that would be fantastic fun and kind of maybe a natural course for me to take. I've always we're been. Uh, a fan of we got fan of three the minutes. Uh, um, so let's mute Craig. Need <laughs> 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 to mute Craig. Um, All right, Craig is muted, uh, but he is right. We only have three minutes, and we got to play oh. out here in a second. So we, oh we are God. about oh, okay. gone. Wow. Oh, okay. It's I gone quick to today. Yes, it has. It's All... been so much fun, and we had I so much. I whenever play. I can get you as a co-host. Um, Craig can go ahead and take uh, Mondays and Thursdays off from now on. We'll have the Katie Barbarian Scott show. (laughs) Oh, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that that would be devastating. No, he misses. He misses doing He misses you, man. It's just he's been dealing with a lot. I need my co-host back. I want my co-host back. He wants wants to be unmuted so he can talk to you. All right. You have one minute. I have one minute. I have to do a weather forecast. You guys, you guys are talking shit, and, and you're not letting me talk. <laughs> the Cadians, the Cadians got you. I heard you come downstairs. Katie and Scott show. Yeah, I was saying unmute me. Um, but uh, yeah, no, got to do a quick, quick weather forecast. Um, uh, look out, Phoenix, Arizona. Currently, uh, I mean, like right now, uh, all of New Mexico and Arizona are getting lit up. And uh, there's a there's stuff going on in Denver as well. Look out, Salt Lake City's already getting hit. Uh, they're getting rain and snow um, all the way across the other side. New York is getting pummeled right now, 
And uh, didn't you guys just get a little bit of rain that came through Ohio? We got a little rain, a yeah. little wind, got all sorts of stuff on Sunday. It's, it's been nice the last two days, though, but it was a little weather. And then tomorrow is we're looking at uh, Texas and uh, Oklahoma and that area lighting up again. So um, everybody, you know, heads up. Keep looking around. Look at the skies. Protect yourself. There you Notice go. my well, silence. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> that was our favorite co-host, um, actor, writer, and meteorologist, Mr. Craig Hurley. Uh, Ms. Katie Barberi, thank you so much for being on the show. we got to sign out, guys. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 o'clock Pacific, five or 4 o'clock Eastern time, right here on Standing on My Soapbox on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is Tuesday, April 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. I hope your week has had an amazing start and it only gets better from here. I'm so lucky today to bring in a couple of my interns you got to meet the other day. We have with us today Chris and Jordan. Guys, how you doing today? Pretty good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Glad to have you guys on board. They are going to be uh, manning the shows on Tuesday for me starting next week when we go back to all live shows. Today we have two fantastic pre-tapes we'll talk about in a second. But starting next week, we're going to have Jordan and Chris manning the phones. We'll be able to take calls for our guests. We'll be able to have the chat room open and all sorts of fun stuff. Are you guys ready to talk to all of our listeners out there? I'm sitting in the middle of the Chick-fil-A, but I'm definitely ready. There you go. There you go. All right, super. I'm putting them on the spot today, guys. We have a great show. Just a couple minutes for you, but we had to do pre-tapes today. Um, Last second, my guest, uh, Eris. We have singer-songwriter Eris coming up first in just a couple of minutes. He's an out singer and songwriter from New York City. And uh, he was supposed to come on live today, and we had to do a last-minute pre-tape because he had a gig pop-up in New York, which is always a great thing for a singer-songwriter. So uh, my interview with him will be on in just a couple seconds. 
And then we are bringing back for the second hour, I'm going to do one of my favorite interviews with Joshua Gonzalez, because I am in a New York state of mind today. He is a New York actor and also a foodie favorite. Him and his husband do an amazing YouTube channel called Sweet Husbands, where they go around to all these amazing bakeries and sweet shops all over New York City and do YouTube videos on it. So it's lots of fun. So they'll be in the second hour. So uh, we're going to play today. I'm just going to press buttons and talk to you for a little bit live here. And then Chris and Jordan and I are going to play in the background while these interviews go. So thanks for tuning in. We'll start all that in just a couple of seconds. If you missed yesterday's episode, we had a great time with out and proud trans actor and comedian Zach Barrick. Zach's going to be in the new Spider-Man Far From Home movie coming out July 5th. Uh, I was able to have another one of our interns, Audrey, come in on the conversation yesterday and talk with us. So be sure to check that out. You can listen to all of the repeat episodes or the podcast episodes on your favorite podcast distributor. Go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and, of course, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Hit the little subscribe button. You'll never miss an episode. It'll come to your email box to listen at your leisure. And be sure to tune in for that every week. So that was great. Listen to that. And we also had yesterday on John Jackson, the owner and proprietor of the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs, where I will be taking the Big Gay Road Trip this June. Big Gay Road Trip Part 2, that is. We're going back for our second month-long worth of shows this June. We have fantastic new celebrities and personalities coming out to Palm Springs to join us. We have an Indiegogo campaign where you can help raise money to add a third day of shows. We can bring some of our women and allies and an intern with me to Palm Springs. Go to Indiegogo.com and go type in Big Gay Road Trip to find us. Or you can go to the Left of Straight website, www.leftofstraight.com. Left of Straight is always spelled L-E-F-T-O-S-S-T-R and the number 8.com. Check it out. Go on the Big Gay Road Trip tabs, and you can uh, find out who the guests are. You can see where we're going to be. You can find live videos on there, all sorts of fun things. So it'll be a lot of exciting times. So we're going to jump into it one second. I do want to talk about if you missed this weekend. We didn't get to talk about it yesterday. We have our first openly gay candidate formally announced on Sunday, Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, formally declared his candidacy for President of the United States. On Sunday, a huge rally in South Bend. Um, a lot of really good stuff came out of it, and it was just kind of inspiring for our LGBT community to see a man and his husband hug at the end and talk about all these great things and what he has in store for America if he becomes president. So that was exciting stuff. So appreciate you tuning in today. We are going to... Um, Go ahead and jump into the interviews here in just a couple seconds. So please be sure to tune in next week where you're able to call in live to our guests. Um, We have some amazing guests coming in next week. And we'll have Jordan and Chris here to be able to take your calls and man the chat room if you guys have any questions for any of the guests. So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. And I'm going to give you a great interview with singer-songwriter Eris, followed by Joshua Gonzalez from Sweet Husbands TV on YouTube. 
Thanks for listening to Lots of Straight Radio. We'll be back live next Monday and Tuesday, 5 o'clock Eastern Time, 2 o'clock Pacific Time. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. All righty, guys, we are back. My next guest is a singer and songwriter and an out and proud Brooklyn rocker whose newest single is Love, featuring the Grammy-winning singer and songwriter Paula Cole. You just might remember her for creation of the little thing called Dawson's Creek theme song as much as her regular amazing work. However, the song and its album has had an interesting road here as the songwriter himself, who's dabbled in producing and acting, as well as honing his fantastic sound. I can't wait to learn a little more about him. Please welcome to the Left of Straight Show for the very first time. Eris, how we doing, man? Hey, Scott, I'm doing great, and hello to everyone listening. I appreciate you calling in, my friend. I haven't had too many single-name people. I'm liking that you're just Eris. It's kind of cool, dude. Well, I've got four names on my birth certificate, so it's the easiest way to just uh, <laughs> get to the bottom line, you know. Otherwise, it'd be like 500 characters. It might not even fit on Twitter, so. <laughs> there you go. Makes it easy. I like it. Uh, how are you doing? How's everything? Are we finding you in New York today, or where are you at? Everything's great, yeah. I'm calling in from Brooklyn tonight. Uh, it's a quiet night at home, which is really nice. Um, it's been uh, the first uh, Friday I've been in uh, for a couple of weeks, so. It's nice having some coffee. Just uh, did a little uh, production work. Can't complain. Very, very cool. Well, I want to give a shout-out to our mutual fan, Tommy Garossi, for introducing us. He's had the pleasure of being able to follow you for quite a while now. I'm really happy you brought us together. I love your music, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, Tommy is a good friend of mine. We actually met on social media I don't know, almost 10 years ago, and he's been uh, both a great fan of my music and also a great supporter of just me as a person. And um, we're going to be working together, actually, on the music video for my new single, Love, at this summer, so I'm really excited about that. Fantastic. That is awesome. Well, I'd like to start at the beginning for my new guest. Do me a favor. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you originally want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's it. That's a great story, actually. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, uh, born and raised in Brooklyn, actually. And I'm still here. Which it's strange. There aren't that many people that are from Brooklyn and still in Brooklyn. I don't know where we go. I like that. We, we yeah. go somewhere. Uh, I guess we go west. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, as a kid, I was very shy and very uh, inquisitive. And from my earliest years, really, I, I had a love for music, Um there's pictures of me when I was, I don't know, two or three in a diaper and makeup. I, I was singing like a prayer or something, something Madonna-related oh, in front of it. a poster. So it's uh, <laughs> kind of in the blood. And uh, my mom actually was a performer. She toured as a belly dancer in the 60s and 70s. So I just grew up in a family where music was all around and uh, photos of performing were all around, my mother in particular, photos of her belly dancing. And from a young age, truthfully, I wanted to be a marine biologist before I wanted to be a singer. Um, I loved the ocean, and um, I did a lot of beach cleanup at a young age and was very inspired by that. And I thought that's where my life would take me. Um, Left turn, I actually went more into poetry and then into music. Um, I still love the ocean, though. Very cool. I am a same per- I'm a water person. I love the water. Um, I'm originally from Southern California. Been 
banished here to northeast Ohio, but if I wasn't an hour away from Lake Erie, I would be hating life. I need to get to the water as often as possible. That's totally cool. the same here. Uh, I, I don't like being landlocked. There's something about the ocean or a big lake. It's basically, I've, I've seen those lakes pretty much like an ocean when you're up on it. Uh, it's just calming to the soul, and I've always felt really at peace close to the water. It's very inspirational. So, yeah, I guess we share that. Exactly. What were some of your earliest music influences that you can remember? What were you listening to when you were growing up? Um, what was playing around the house? Well, I was a child of the 80s, so uh, it's when the radio still existed. Uh, the youngins today might not know it, or they might know it as something different, but like FM radio, which still exists, we know, but it was kind of all there was, <laughs> right? Um, so I definitely right. listened to a lot of pop radio growing up, um, definitely Madonna, Cyndi Lauper, uh, The Cure, a lot of 80s music, and you know that as the, the decade rolled on to the 90s, which I think is one of the best times in music, as a teenager, I was really, really influenced by that, that alternative music scene that uh, came pop somehow, miraculously. And um, growing up, I also listened to a lot of uh, female-led artists or bands. Uh, saw all three years of the Lilith Fair tour uh, as a youngin' and was very inspired. Uh, nice. Sarah Boswell and Sheryl Crow, and of course, also Paula Cole. I loved Sheryl Crow for a long time. I loved the earlier chick groups, I called them, with the bangles and all of that. I love that stuff. That's awesome. Uh, talk about your coming out process a bit. When did you first come out to yourself, and when did you first come out to others? Well, um, I always had feelings that were uh, a little eccentric, is the best way I can put it. Uh, I went to a great school <laughs> where um, it was a small school. It was a Greek Orthodox school, and I was one of 15 or 16 people in a class from kindergarten through eighth grade, and I just felt different from a young age. Um, I was probably one of the more artsy people in the school. Um, it was a sports-oriented and religion-oriented school and language-oriented, um, and I didn't know at the time that that's what it was, but there was that, you know, uh, quirky, eccentric, uh, queer little boy um, and Right. Um, before I even knew what was going on, it, it, there were warning signs of it. Like I went to school one day, it must have been 6th or 7th grade, it was Valentine's Day, and they uh, told us that we could do something different than our normal uniform and wear red. So um, I went in with a, a streak of my hair sprayed red, and I got suspended for that, if you could even imagine. No! So, I know. So that's the type of um, kind of narrow-minded, uh, no offense to them, but the narrow-minded institution that I was uh, raised in, I guess, and educated right. in. And then when I got to high school, I went to a public school, and it went from being like 15 people in my class to a school of 5,000. And it was still uh, a time in the 90s where not everyone was comfortable being out and open, but I, I definitely realized then in high school. Um, so that's when I kind of figured it out for myself. And then over the years, you know, uh, family was the first to know. And then people that knew me in my periphery, and then maybe I would say about five years or so, or maybe six years ago, um, when I released my last album, Twilight Revival, um, I went on sort of a promotional tour, but the PR company that I was working with was really encouraging of um, promoting gay artists. So they were like, you know, we're going to put you on all these shows, and 
feel free to talk about talk. yourself and who you are. So I went on like a national coming out tour, basically all around like uh, radio and print, which was interesting. Because um, was it positive what, at all, or how was it? Yeah, it was definitely how positive. Interesting. Um, what I found most interesting was uh, the way that they kind of were marketing me was like I was a, a, the, the only gay rocker, and we know that's so not true because there's lots of gay rockers, <laughs> but maybe just the idea of what a gay musician was six years ago was a little bit more uh, niche. You know, people assumed it'd be right. there's a video with Go-Go Boys or a shirt off or it's got to be a dance beat. And maybe I have all those things in my video, but at the time it wasn't really what was in the forefront. I was really focusing on songwriting and um, strong melodies and, uh, you know, predominantly rock with a little bit of dance influence, but grungy and unapologetic to, you know, I, I I guess I consider myself somewhere on that spectrum between uh, bisexual and gay. More gay than bi, um, if it's like a Kinsey scale sort of way. But definitely right. that was being reflected in some of the uh, materials that I was putting out. And what I was surprised about were people were like, explain bisexuality. Is it real? Is this a gimmick? Or are you just marketing to a this or that? So that was interesting, just to see uh, how the issue was discussed um, either in print or in media. Um, but it was it was positive all over, and everyone's been very supportive. That's great. Yeah, I have a lot of bisexual friends, and it's probably, um, I mean, transgender was always the most non, I guess, uh, understood for a long time. But bisexual has always been a very close second and now are to that. And now I think bisexual is kind of overtaken as, not really being understood whatsoever. It's like, oh, you just don't want to admit to it yet or you're confused. And I have a lot of bisexual friends and a lot of people in the bisexual advocacy uh, community, and it's it's hard getting that word out. Trans, we're starting to accept a little bit more now, but bi still not quite so much. I think it's that taboo, especially for guys, right? Because girls being bisexual in you know, our society is kind of like uh, something that straight men fantasize about. But gay guys being bisexual is threatening because then it's like, are are you gay? Are are you coming on to me? You know, there's a lot of um, taboo still related to that. But for me, it's not really about um, a man or a woman. I mean, I've had experiences with both. I've had relationships with both and been in love with both. It's really just the person and um, the personality and the, the soul, hopefully, if you connect that deeply. So um, that's not something that, that's talked about a lot with bisexuality. Definitely right. sometimes, but it always ends up being about the sex act and uh, that being sensationalized and less about just the connection with other human beings. Exactly, which is the one thing we're trying to avoid in the entire LGBT plus community. It is, it's, we're not about sex, we're about who the people are. So it's, it's just kind of a silly construct to begin with. Yeah, but we're making strides. It's um that's very 2020 true. and uh you know just awareness about all these things and um open-mindedness and also just uh, people's defenses being down about being able to have conversations like this is is on the rise and that's a great thing it's it's very there's all the positive and there's still a couple of things i mean today of course when we're recording this uh, the transgender ban went into effect in the military but we also have an openly gay presidential candidate that's just zooming up the chart so it's like it's it's I think it's more positive than not. It's more policy that we still have to work on than um anything else. But totally. I think as far as being accepted, I mean this uh Pete Buttigieg guy is like seventy percent 
um, accept, acceptability or favorability in polls, which is kind of cool. I like it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's very inspirational to me. I I think he's got great policy, and I just like the way that he speaks. You know, he's he's definitely up for having a civil conversation and uh, sitting down with people he disagrees with. And I like that what's being talked about about him is more of that and his policy and his faith than the fact that he's gay. It, it's it's kind of amazing. I guess it's really that pendulum, right? So there's a percentage of people right. that that uh, enabled uh, Trump and enabled the policies which created the uh, transgender ban. But then there's also that pendulum that swings the other way where there's now a momentum where there's people that um, want to see equality and want to see themselves represented and maybe don't even care um, about sexuality anymore as long as the person's credentials and his military service and his service to his country out outstanding, right? So it kind of overshadows anything about sexuality, at least to me, and hopefully to 70% or more of America. Exactly. Very well said. Um, let's talk about uh, your current look a bit. I mean, I've, I've gone through all your videos and everything. It seems like tattoos are very important to you. They look pretty awesome. Talk about that experience and what they've meant to you. Um, what is What does getting a tattoo mean to you, or is it just one of those things where everyone says, after you have one, you're addicted? <laughs> well, I think that it depends on your experience. Um, there's a lot of skin on the human body. So once you get started and you kind of break the ice with that, yeah, it is easy to be like, okay, now I want 20 more. Uh, that's kind of what happened to me, but all of mine definitely have uh, a meaning behind them. My first one probably didn't as much. I was underage. I had a fake ID, and I went to these really kind of sketchy shops on St. Mark's in uh, <laughs> the East Village, and uh, these are the ones that have sunglasses on the outside and sell bongs and do piercings in the back. And yeah, right, my right. experience was pretty sketchy, as you'd imagine. In the middle of tattoos, <laughs> my tattoo artist started passing out. I'm like, dude, are you okay? And I, I, I'm not going to use accent, but he said, no, too much heroin. And then at that point, oh he was halfway God. done with the tattoo, and I was like, what do I do? And I was going to get up and leave, but... He had I hate white people tattooed across his forehead. So I was like, you know, cost risk analysis. Maybe I should just sit this one out. So that was a really bad experience <laughs> to start out. You think that would have really dissuaded me about getting any more? But after I was of age, um, I could go to actual parlors. Um, and yeah, it, it, they always come for me at a time of my life that's transitioning, uh, transitioning or uh, momentous for some reason, like um, the death of my mother or. Um, leaving one place or relationship and going someplace else or just spiritual changes within myself. The ones down my back um, I got because there's this uh, ancient uh, Eastern myth, and maybe it's not so much a myth, that when warriors were getting ready for battle, they would get these tattoos um, on themselves, which would imbibe the, uh, the warrior with those qualities. So mine are patience, wisdom, grace, Still working on those in real life. <laughs> Divinity and spirit, um, Buddha, gates of heaven, peace and love. And um, I'm going to add more. I've got to finish it out. So maybe it is addictive. And the other ones are all um, nice. Tibetan or uh, have some meaning that's spiritual. I have the Om symbol. I have a symbol for longevity. Um, yeah, and I, I envision more coming in the next few months. So I'll keep you updated. I love that. I love the reasoning behind it and everything. Talk, 
What's been the most painful? Because I'd take those ones right on the spine. I mean, supposedly when you get on bone, that's got to be kind of painful. What was your what was your most painful one? Yeah, I mean, the spine ones actually, um, I didn't get all done in one sitting. It happened over the course of, I don't know, three or four different sessions. Actually, spread across uh, a couple years. The one that was the worst is definitely my chest piece. Um, I'm a leaner guy, and I don't have a lot of uh, meat on my uh, upper body. And right. the, the tattoo that I got, I didn't realize at the time, was going to be quite um, labor-intensive in terms of how much inking they were going to do and write kind of on my sternum. And so, yeah, it, it started out bad, and five hours later it ended bad. And it was it was rough. Um, but it's also my I'm a wimp. I want to tattoo so bad, but I'm a wimp. I'm afraid of this stuff. Uh, yeah, oh, that's got to be painful. Oh. you got to go for the meaty areas to start. And then, you know, you kind of work your way into the other stuff. I'm a little bit of a chubby guy, so I, get, I got lots of room to choose from. <laughs> so we're good there. Well, what would All you right, get if you could get in. something? There you, oh, you know, I don't know. I kind of kind of want, I don't know what describes it. Since I've been doing this radio show now for three and a half years, I kind of want my my logo. I want like an old-fashioned radio mic with rainbow coloring through it. I think that'd be kind of cool. Just a microphone with with uh, color involved. I think that's yeah, that what I would start really with. Cool. Something small and easy. I say do it. So I can I can deal with that. I'll have to. You may have to. I'll have to come to New York. You have to hold my hand. Take me someplace. We'll be good. I'll, I'll I promise it. it won't be the sketchy through. place on St. Mark's. I'll pick somewhere a little bit. Let's more not go okay. there. Let's let's start it somewhere else. But we're, other than that, we are good. Let's jump into the music, my friend. I mean, we have, uh, last year you celebrated 11 years as a recording artist, and your first album is now in its 10th year in 2019 called The Storms. Uh, your style was compared to Peter Gabriel at the time, and a couple of songs were featured in a couple of fashion campaigns by season six winner of one of my favorite shows, Project One Way, uh, Arena Shabayeva. Uh, talk about that freshman project. What did it mean to you? And, uh, what do you, what do you think back on that project? Can you believe it's been uh, ten years? It, it was. A, I know. I actually can't. Um, it's the decade, man. You know, time goes fast when you get older. They always said that to me when I was younger, and I was like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. But it really does. There's something <laughs> exponential about it. Um, that was such a cool time for me. Um, it was an interesting time in terms of uh, independent music because right around that time is when you could start distributing your own music without a record label, you know, straight to consumer, right. TuneCore, another service like that. And suddenly you go from uh, a time when it's very difficult to distribute music to like uh, an open arena. And MySpace was happening at the time as well. People were discovering music there, YouTube. So, yeah, um, it took me probably, I don't know, uh, even 10 years before that I started writing and trying to figure out what my sound was and what I had to say. And I collected songs, and then from about 2007 to 2009, I recorded them, and those were the songs that would end up being on the storms. Um, my, my sound was definitely uh, very moody rock, um, definitely uh, a little bit more gloomy than I am now. I think I'm a little more uplifting in my writing than I was then. Um <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's understandable. I was listening to angsty 90s rock, and that's what it's all about. Sure. Um, yeah, and I, I was really, really lucky in, in terms of uh, those placements. I actually met Irina uh, many years ago um, through a mutual friend, and when I met her and I went to her apartment, I was 
blown away. It, it was just surrounded uh, and filled with all these fabrics and gowns. And I was like, dude, you got to go on Project Runway. And um, she was against it at the time. And then after a little bit of uh, convincing and conjoling, she's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go on Project Runway. And she asked me if I would shoot her audition video. Um, and it ended up being the video that got her on season six. And then she That's killed awesome. it on season six. Um, and, yeah, when she came out of her win, she approached me about um, hopping on, doing actually production work for her to produce uh, two fashion campaigns. And uh, she was a fan of that album and my music, so she encouraged me to put the music that I was working on and that I had just released into the campaigns, which was really, really cool um, because I never would have imagined that would have happened, even though I knew her, if that makes any sense. It just never yeah, crossed my mind that that music would have ended up um, you know, promoting uh, a really uh, high-end and very sleek uh, women's luxury brand. So that was a really cool experience. And um, she was recently on the new season of uh, All Stars uh, of Project Runway and came in third place. So really proud of her and all the work she's done. That is awesome. Let's get into the sophomore album. I mean, you've had a couple of tragedies, starting with this one while you're working on your work. Um, Just during this time, you talked about your mom passing away. That happened during this Twilight Revival so sorry to hear about that. Talk about how was that time for you, and how did it affect your music? It was um, it was a lot. It was a very intense process. Uh, my mother's health started declining over the course of about four years. Uh, she had a few cancer battles, and she was dealing with COPD. And um, I think I saw her as invincible even through that, and perhaps she saw herself that way. And as I was writing that um, second album... Uh, she would always come to every show that I had and would encourage me. And so it felt nice. um, uh, very uh, poignant um, as she started to get ill right around the time I was supposed to release it. I was going to originally release it in 2012, and um, I couldn't. I, I put it to the side, and I had to focus on, you know, being her health care provider. Um, I'm an only child, and we have a small family, so I was pretty much um, all she uh, had in terms of uh, support, and right. she bounced back for a little while, but then had uh, an episode, uh, a cardiac episode, and wound up in Bellevue Hospital um, right before Hurricane Sandy hit. And then when Hurricane Sandy hit, um, it impacted the hospital's emergency systems, and uh, they lost power, they lost uh, a lot of procedures that they should have been following, and she did not survive that um that hospitalization. Hmm. So it definitely impacted uh, the album's uh, trajectory. In fact, that month that that happened, I was shooting a music video for that um, album, for one of the singles, Pray for Change. And uh, my mother is in the video, actually. We were volunteering together at Holy Apostle Soup Kitchen in New York City, uh, which is featured in the video. And so... You can even see in that video, it, it touches upon that. Um, there's a, a couple of scenes of her, and then a, a slide comes up, which talks about her passing. But, yeah, it's very topical and very poignant and definitely changed the, the, the buoyancy of the album. There was still a lot of hope, but there was also a lot of um, realness and a lot of heaviness. And I think I'm really glad that I shared that with people because so many people 
go through loss and um grief right. is something that's still very taboo in in the world really but definitely in our country and we don't really talk about it as often as it happens if you think about it everyone will experience death in their family and their own death but we don't want to think about it we don't want to talk about it and then when it does we don't know what to say so yeah i wanted to let people know what i was going through should there have been someone else that was going through something similar so perhaps it could uplift them I love that. I mean, that's I've, I've said the story many times. I hear that's how I started my uh, show, my radio show three and a half years ago. Was my dad got really sick and my mom couldn't take care of him by herself. She's five foot period, and he was six foot two and about two hundred eighty pounds, so she couldn't kind of help him around the house. So I had to quit my job and move home. Um, like you, I have two brothers, though. I had but one was in Charlotte, North Carolina, one was in California, and I'm here in Northeast Ohio with them. So same thing, you, you, you have this obligation to your family, and it, it's a weird time because you're taking care of a parent that you think is invincible, and it really um, it, it, it puts a lot of little thoughts where you had to begin with, but it also does bring some creativity. Like I said, it brought me this radio show. It brought you this album, which, I mean, got some – you got a Producer of the Year in the Ninth Annual Out Music Awards for it. I mean, it, it – the catharsis, I guess, kind of really showed up in some surprising ways, maybe. It did, um, and I, I I was so grateful for that because my mother was so supportive of my work, and uh, she got to hear most of the album before she passed, but uh, being able to put it out and for it to have uh, a positive impact and for it to touch people and for it to be recognized by um, an awards association was uh very cathartic and healing, uh, allowing myself to not just grieve, but have an outlet to uh, vent and let it out. You know, music is like therapy to me. It's it's like going to church. So um, being able to do that um, and talk about these things and connect with people and be really real about the process of what was happening in my life was um, uh, probably why I'm still here and, you know, able to feel okay now um, after, you know, many years of grieving, but knowing that um, I, I didn't bottle anything up. I uh, I let right. it flow. Very cool. Well, again, sorry for your loss. I understand it after losing my dad after eight months here, but it does, um, when they say things, good things can come out of things, uh, it does, if you can get through it, which is tough to get through sometimes, you really do come out on the other side. You can you can look back on it and ha- have some good memories even out of a sad time. So I'm glad you were able to get through all that, my friend. Likewise, likewise. And sorry for your loss. We're Thank part you. of a Let's club that uh, no one wanted to be in, but, you know, we're, we're united exactly. in uh, understanding. Exactly. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a break. I want to play. We're going to go into the third album now. That we're probably going to talk about the single um, Love with Paula Cole. Let's go ahead and play that. I want to talk about it on the other side. Guys, we're listening right now to Eris. Uh, you're listening to Let's Straight Show right here on Let's Straight Radio Network. We'll be back on the other side of the song. Have a listen.
All right, guys, we are back. That was the uh, first track off the album Pulse with my artist today, Eris. Eris, thanks so much for being on the show. Love that song. Um, God, great dance music, great everything. Talk about um, talk about Paula Cole. I mean, she is amazing. How did that uh, relationship happen? Oh, we might need a whole other uh, show just to talk about Paula Cole. I can go on and on. <laughs> But yeah, um, I, I first heard her music uh, when she released uh, this Fire album, her sophomore album, um, when Where Have All the Cowboys Gone was hitting the airwaves um, in my early teens, and I believe I was in the car with my mom, uh, she was driving around, and it just, uh, it, it took me over, and uh, it's going to date me when I say this, but I asked my mom to drive me to Kmart so I could buy a CD. Again, the millennials are like, what? <laughs> And um, I, I pushed play on my disc man, and uh, from from the first track all the way through the end, I was just transfixed. And um, I, I believe it's the first album that I heard where I was like, "What is this music? And and how do I figure it out and sing it? And uh, how do I write music like it?" And then when I learned that um, she had self-produced the album. And the first woman uh, that was nominated for a Grammy for production, um, I was very inspired by it. So it probably was uh, really a catalyst for my um, my move from just poetry into songwriting and a large influence on my uh, writing style and earlier works and even works for now. So I, I was a fan for many years. And then uh, at some point, Paula uh, went indie herself, and she had a Kickstarter for her album Raven. And I didn't know it, but unbeknownst to me, my mother pledged for that Kickstarter. Um, this was about a month before she passed, and she surprised me oh, wow. with uh, the opportunity to perform with Paula. And uh, I was blown away, obviously. It was like oh, unbelievable my God. to know that a dream to true that could happen. Story. Yeah. And so what was really crazy was uh, – very much, or I think it was like a couple of days after my mom had passed, her uh, Paula's Kickstarter ended, and she contacted me to try to set up um, uh, some time for us to do uh, this thing where we'd sing together. And I was very frank with her about what was going on and let her know, um, you know, that my mom had pledged and surprised me with it, and sadly she had passed, and I was going to need some time just to to be okay and to to figure it out and to know that. Uh, right. When I was going to have the experience with her, I, I'd, I'd be okay in myself. And she was wonderful. Um, she sent me many words of encouragement. And um, I saw her f- uh, live a few times uh, over the course of a uh, few months. And any time I saw her live, we'll ha- would spend a little time with her afterwards. And, again, she was very encouraging and checking in on me to make sure I was okay and also encouraging me to, to do it and to um, – make the song not just something that we sung together, but something that was a tribute for my mom. So uh, we got to sing together, I believe it was in September of 2013, um, and I chose uh, my favorite song of hers, I Believe in Love, to sing as a duet with her. And um, right before the show, she said, I'd really like you to say something about your mom before we sing the song together, which, again, blew me away, because here I am up on her stage talking about my mom. Um, and it's just yeah, it's so a magical, magical experience to be able to do that, do that with her and feel the energy in the room. And um, I'm not one to, to boast about stuff like this, but uh, we had a, 
like a three-minute standing ovation with everyone in the room. And to me, it, it it was not really about, you know, like me or anything, but it was just, it was nice to be able to do that with my mother in mind and for, for that to be sort of a oh, memorial yeah. for her. And um, it also coincidentally and kind of succinctly was in a church. So there was this real uh, soulful wow. vibe. Um, and I don't just use that as a genre. There was real, there was, there was soul on the walls. So, yeah, um, we kept in touch after that. And that experience for me was very moving, obviously. And uh, it inspired me to write My Single Love, which you guys just listened to. Um, and when I wrote that song, I, I, I harked back to Paula Single, I Believe in Love. And I thought, is there some way to incorporate um, the vibe of that into this track? And uh, I did, uh, miraculously. I, I did the production work on it. I was able to weave her vocal in. And I loved the way it sounded. Uh, I contacted her about it, and she gave her blessing to put it out together. And, yeah, uh, the rest is history. Uh, I'm so, so happy that that track exists. Um, it's it means so much to me and people really seem to respond to it and really love it. And I think that's beautiful because it's such a pure intention. And and so many times in music, songs are not necessarily written with pure intention or from like this really kind of uh, amazing experience. It's just people are crafting something to write a hit or they're experiencing something and then they're just trying to uh, make sense of it, but this thing kind of had a life of its own, and um, I'm glad it right. gets to have its spotlight now. Well, that is so such a beautiful story. I love that. Now, did your mom actually tell you before she passed, or did you not find out about it until she contacted you? She told me about two weeks before she passed. We went out to dinner, and she surprised me with it then. Um, so oh my it, it was wonderful that we got to have that time where uh, we talked about it. Um, I wish it could have been there, obviously, and I wish she could have seen it, but I know right. that she, she did. probably did. Yeah. She did. Yep. That is awesome. Well, and talk about this. You're going through this um, with your mom and then on the second album, then this third album, you name it Pulse, and then... As it's scheduled to come out, the Pulse nightclub happens, and now you're part of the community and part of a national strategy going on, and you did a real respectful thing. Talk about how that all came about and the timing and everything. I seem to have really weird luck with the timing of releasing my albums. It's like I get ready, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is the date. <laughs> and then I put it out, and, you know, I mean, that's just life, I guess. Life life happens. Um, but, yeah, exactly. I put I, – I actually I did a Kickstarter to um, to fund Pulse, and I was able to fully fund that. Um, so I was really excited because I wanted to make an inspirational, uplifting album, which uh, still had my gritty rock style and soulful vocals, but uh, was primarily a dance album. I mean, it, it ranges in style still from different types of dance, house, uh using some uh, right. Latin dance flavor, but dance, more so than my previous um, albums, which had more ballads. Um, and, yeah, I, I put the album out, uh, I believe it was May 31st, and began promoting it, and then Pulse happened. And when Pulse happened, it was very eerie um, in so many different ways. Uh, the the name of the album being Pulse, me being on the cover, uh, looking like I have a, a bleeding heart, 
very, very uh, strange uh, synchronicity that made me very uncomfortable, really. Um, and I didn't feel comfortable right. promoting an album called Pulse when the national comp- topic was uh, about this tragedy. Um, so I decided that I wouldn't get out there and promote it at, like, uh, a dance party, um, and I would instead just talk about what had happened and uh, donate the profits of the song, the title track, Pulse, to uh, the victims of the massacre. And actually, one of my neighbor's cousins is one of the victims that survived, but it was it was so close to me at the time that it really, it kind of, it shut me down uh, emotionally, and it made the process of the music a little less buoyant, um, but real. And it, it, well, just like with the second album, I feel like it, it gave me the opportunity to use this platform to talk about real things, not just about um, dance songs. And that's the underlying blessing. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I, I put it out for my Kickstarters, my 100 supporters that funded it. And then I kind of stepped away from it because um, I, I, I wanted to let that word have less of a scarring effect in my heart and my mind. Um, and that brings us to where we're at now. Um, Love, my my new album, is actually deluxe edition of Pulse. Um, I wanted to really name rename the album about what the album is about, um, which is love. And Sure. Uh, it feels right to be able to step back into this now. We all need a little bit more love in this world and to share this music uh, with not just my Kickstarters and, uh, you know, the first run of a, a, a faulty uh, press junket, but to put it out again and to give it its due, and especially this single, uh, Love, to let people hear it and let people know about the story and let it inspire other people as well. Well, it really does, and I appreciate you sent me quite a few tracks, and I really appreciate that. We're going to play um, the song, The Music, on our way out here in a little bit. Uh, the just Your videos are so cool, and the songs are so cool. Talk about how, many, how much writing do you do before you pick what goes on an album? Have you have lots of songs that you have to kind of winnow down, or do you do the songs first and then stop and create an album? It's a, good, a really great question. Um, I find each person's style, artist style, tends to vary with this particular topic. For me, um, I, I'm very prolific in terms of writing and home demoing, so I end up having twice as many songs as should be on an album, 30, 40 tracks, that I try to figure out what I'm going to do with. With Pulse, it was a little bit more direct because the recording process was quick. So even if I had some demos, I had to really get in there and say, okay, I'm going to look for this many songs, and I want them to sound like this. And I, I, I gave myself a little bit narrower of a of a window to feel artistic in. Um, again, if it was right. a ballad, it probably didn't go on the album. Um, but, yeah, uh, I would say that I continue to, to be prolific in that way. And, you know, I'm working on a new album right now uh, for next year, uh, hopefully. And I've got 50 tracks at the moment. And I don't, I don't know. Oh, my it's, goodness. It's, it's going to take a wow. while to... <laughs> to that down to 12 or 13, but um, I know that whatever's on there is going to um, be what I think is the best of, of the 50. So, you know, whenever you're doing a lot of art, if if you can edit yourself and you can see what sticks uh, as opposed to limiting yourself with just a, a small palette, I find it, it creates a better product. 
Right, right. Well, talk about that too for a second because um, in today's music age, it's so different anymore. And I have a lot of artists do different things. I've talked, I've had Steve Grand on the show, and he likes the album concept like you've done, where he wants to tell a story through all of his songs in there, and he kind of tends to write a lot of songs. And I've had a guy, Taylor Olson from LA. And he's into the new thing where he just does singles and doesn't throw an album. He has a single out there for the Spotify streaming people out there. What's your take on today's music and what what is your style? Do you prefer the album style? And what do you think of this all this single mania and Spotifyization, I guess, of music? For me, uh, I'm an album artist. I feel um, I've got a lot to say, um, and I like to to have a range of sound and to tell a story. And you can do that on one song or with a few singles, but um, I don't know. I guess I'm traditional in that way. The music that I grew up listening to, the albums that I grew up listening to, they're like books, you know. They're like these beautiful um, musical books that are or journals nice. that are, are rich and full, and it's not just one thing. Um, so that's kind of how it happens with me. And, yeah, I put out a few singles in between albums, um, but... I envision, especially because I'm so prolific in terms of the amount that I've got, um, I like to put them out in bulk. Um, And that's been my process for the first three albums and probably will be for the next. Although I'll probably do a promo single in between. I'll let you know. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, the people that are doing that, it's cool. And uh, everyone is going to do their own thing and have a niche now. There's so many different ways to reach people. There's so many different unique niches of people that like to digest things in different ways. The resurgence of vinyl is a great proof of that. You know, That's not something that we necessarily thought was going to happen when CDs came out because it was like, okay, we're going that direction. Now vinyl is a thing again. CDs are not, but you know, that's <laughs> the, the way it goes. Um, I am on Spotify, but I have a love-hate relationship with Spotify. Sorry, Spotify. Um, a lot of people don't know this, and I'm happy to be someone who educates about this and let your listeners know when you stream a song on Spotify the artist is getting between 0.06 cents so that's a half of a cent basically to right. uh, an eighth of a cent per stream so if you think about what we used to consider value for an mp3 at a dollar for a song which still is cheap probably right. is like two bucks to now cents on a dollar um if you're Beyonce or wow. Lady Gaga, that's working, right? Because you're still making revenue. If you're an indie artist, sure. it's really tough uh, because there is really no Definitely. recoup. So, you know, it, the model is changing in the ways people digest music is changing, the way you, you reach people and, you know, uh, have money to reinvest into your art is changing. Uh, crowdfunding is a great way to do that. Uh, it's been really good for me because then you find people who really care about what you're doing and want to, you know, right. create uh, a connection with you and also purchase an individual experience or a product. And, um, yeah, of course, there's still going to be the casual listener on a Spotify or YouTube, but that's where it's at. It's about uh, connecting with your fan base. So that's what we're all trying to do these days, either through social media or through, uh, you know, just direct messaging. Um, that's where I see uh, my my strengths in the future going, just like, you know, knowing um, – in every city, my core fans, and having not just uh, this distance thing with them where they come to the shows and they see music, but, 
you know, it's like, how are you? What, since the last time I saw you, what's going on in your life? That's right. that's what inspires me. Um, and not to backtrack about Paula Cole, but I've seen her do that in her own indie career, and it's been really inspirational to see someone that uh, wasn't indie, uh, a, a major label artist um, have a vibrant indie following where she does still have time to connect to people. So um, she definitely has inspired me to do that with my own life. That is awesome. Well, we're running out of time. That kind of brings me into my final question. Do you um, like to perform live a lot, or do you prefer the recording process and uh, letting your music speak for itself that way? I love performing live. Uh, I I think that, for me, I go through phases. So, and many creatives probably can relate to this, especially people who produce uh, work. There's the insular kind of introverted creative time uh, which for me can last anywhere from a couple of days to a couple of years uh, where I'm behind a right. computer and I'm creating and I'm trying to get the vocal right or get the, the, the vibe right uh, tell a story with a song or a collection of songs and then there comes the time when that's done and I've done all I can do and it's time to let it go out into the world and then that's the time that's really free and engaging and extroverted where performing live comes. Uh, I'm really excited right now to almost be at the end of the recording process for my next album and at a time when I can just go and be live. So um, stay tuned. Uh, I've got some dates coming up in the fall that I'm really looking forward to. Very cool. And you have, um, where do you like to perform? Do you stay local? Do you tour? Talk about uh, where you like to go with your music, where you've been, or where do you want to go? Um, I'm from Primarily doing local shows right now in New York. Uh, there's a lot of great venues, Lower East Side, uh, West Village. Uh, both played at the Bitter End and Santos Party House and Webster Hall. Um, and the Delancey, uh, I believe, is going to be my next gig uh, in the the fall. I'll, I'll be posting gigs uh, and listings on my social media. So if anyone wants to follow, uh, just look me up at uh, www.aris.fm and that's my main site I've, I link people off that site to my social media because it's easier than dropping seven different links sure definitely very cool we definitely got to keep up and if I head out to New York this fall I try to go at least every three or four months we'll have to have a cocktail or two that'll be fun very cool I love that nice well Aris thanks so much for being on the Left of Straight show guys you got to check out this music they can purchase it now from your website as well, too, right? The new single, at least? Yes, I've got stuff uh, available direct through my website uh, for purchase uh, straight from the artist. And then you can also get me on uh, digital distributors like iTunes and uh, Apple Music and Amazon. And last but not least, if you are paying for a Spotify subscription and you just want to sample some stuff, you can do that. Um, look me up, Aris and the album Love. But buy the music, guys. We gotta buy. We gotta support these artists. Buy the books. Buy the music. That's what this is all about: supporting each other. Eris, it's been fantastic talking. Thanks so much, man. You gotta come back real soon when the next album's getting ready. My pleasure. I'd love to. Uh, it's been really wonderful chatting with you on this lovely Friday night. You as well. Stay on the line for me. We'll talk off air in a second, guys. We're gonna play out with uh, the music from Eris's album here, Love. Uh, you're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes.
Alrighty, guys and gals. My guest today is following his dreams in New York City as an actor who's worked on national tours, regional premieres, including the occasional TV industrial commercial gigs. He's also, together with his husband, Matt, worked his way into my heart with a fantastic YouTube foodie channel called Sweet Husbands that explores some of the yummiest treats in the land and on the sea, even. You know that I'm addicted to Broadway <laughs> and, of course, the food, guys, so I'm so happy to bring you for the first time to the Left of Straight show. Please welcome Mr. Joshua Gonzalez. Joshua, how you doing, man? I'm doing so well. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. I'm so excited to have you. I've been following yours and Matt's channel for quite a while now, and uh, I so rudely interrupted one of your Instagram lives a couple weeks ago when you were making s'mores <laughs> and said, i got to have you on my program. Please come on no, my program. So so thanks for coming on. I'm so <laughs> happy you. to talk to you. I'm happy to talk to you, I was a- and thank you so much for all the nice words about everything. <laughs> uh, no worries, man. How is everything in beautiful downtown New York City today? It's been pretty good. You know, we are in the middle of summer in New York, so the humidity and the heat are out and about, but I'm trying to stay indoors as much as possible. Smart man, I hear you. Well, I always like to start at the very beginning for my first-time guests on there. Give me a second and talk to me about growing up. I think you're from Texas, right? What kind I of a am. kid were you, and what got you interested in show business? So I grew up in a very, very small town of Huntsville, Texas, It's about an hour north of Houston, and there wasn't a lot to do in the town, but, you know, someone had to, like, have after-school activities, and our parents were very much into pushing us into after-school activities, and both my older brothers were trumpet players, and they were in the band, and I decided I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something else because I was the youngest and I was rebellious. And I was like, no, I make my own choice. So <laughs> I ended up I ended up telling my parents, hey, I'm going to do theater instead of band. And they did not like it at all. But luckily they let me do me. And that is kind of how it all started. That is awesome. I love that. And what was your <laughs> very first production ever? My very first production was Midsummer Night's Dream in at the Huntsville High School, and I played Francis Flute, who is one of the like little mechanicals who at the end cross-dresses and does this whole big funny play with the rest of the little mechanical people. Nice, nice. I do, I do love that show. That's awesome. So <laughs> cool. And talk about what is it growing up. Um, when, when did you come out to yourself and talk about growing up in a Texas town gay, a small, a small Texas town gay, did uh, you able to realize uh, and and become yourself there? Or did you have to wait till you moved to New York? Um, it I actually kind of came like late to the game of even like self-realization. Um it wasn't until I went to college in Waco, Texas. I went to a private Baptist university, which even probably delayed the like realization for myself. Um, and <laughs> while there, and I was studying theater, and it was while there I like met more gay people, and like I realized this was a thing, and 
I started to realize that myself, I was maybe gay. And um, I actually ended up meeting my husband there. And he was also in the theater department at the time. And we had like started dating and like a relationship. And then I realized, oh, wait, this is, yeah, this is actually kind of like what I want and like who I am and everything like that. Um, And then from there, it was like a slowly, a slow coming out process to like our friends at the school and then um, our families. And then we moved to New York and that's when we really found our community finally, because obviously at a private Baptist university, there's in a large gay community where you can really be yourself and like have all of those, just, just that community that, you know, we want. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was a very slow, I feel called? like kind of late process. My college was Baylor University. Yeah, that's where my buddy Emerson Collin went to. Mm. Emerson was, studied in theater there. He's a little older than you, though. I think he's like 31, 32. But, oh, um, wow. Yeah, he he went to Waco to, uh, to there, and he was a big part of their theater company, and that's when he first came out, too. That's kind of cool. I like that. We have a little quinky deep between gaps. I know. Look at that. <laughs> Now, what made you guys decide of all places in New York City? That had to be a little intimidating, wasn't it? What brought you, what, what made you guys decide to go there of all places to go? Well, I, just me being myself, I was never meant for the small town Texas country life that very early on. I absolutely hated living where I grew up um, with like nothing to do. And I always dreamed about going to the big city. And, of course, given that we were both in the theater and um, wanted to pursue that more, obviously the mecca of the theater world is in New York City. And I had known a few friends who had moved to the city and showed me that it was a possibility and that it was possible and that you can do that. And so I was like, hey, why not? I'm young. I've Again, my parents hated the idea, but I've always been – a little rebellious of if they hate it, that's what I'm going to do. And so <laughs> I, um, I, we went to New York. That is awesome that you did. Now talk about your first experience in New York. Cause New York, man, that's an expensive place. You have paying big bucks for a small little apartment. What was your very first Oof. place like when you got there? Are you Oof. in the same place or did you, are you, are you no, thanks. Thankfully we have graduated. <laughs> um, it was it was insane. Like our first apartment in New York, I remember going to see it, and I don't think Matt must have been like at work or something. And we we had another person who was going to be our roommate, but she actually hadn't even been in the city yet. And I went with a broker to see this tiny little apartment that was in our price range. And he was basically like, hey, I'm showing it to someone right after you. So you basically have to tell me now whether you want it. And so I texted both Matt and our roommate. And I was just like, hey, guys, we're getting this one. I'm going to go get all of our money out and just give it to this guy. And then we took it and we took the apartment. And we only had moved with two suitcases at the time. So we, like, slept on a pile of laundry for about a week until we got an air mattress. (laughs) And then we just, like – Literally, that first year was epitome of the starving artist lifestyle until oh my goodness. we got where we are today. 
Oh, that's awesome, though, that you have that success story to go from. Because it's, it's a tough city. I've, t- I've, I've had people that have moved there and had to get the heck out of Dodge. I know a couple people have done that. Yeah, but just to it's be able not to stick it out, that is very cool. That's good. And yeah. you guys are, I, I remember watching on your social, but you guys are hoping for a, a new place now. That's just such a weird thing to me that you actually have to go through all these brokers and you almost have to apply for to get on a waiting list to go to other apartments. That's a whole weird system. Oh, yeah. The entire, How do you guys negotiate that? I mean, the entire real estate system in New York is unlike any other place, I think, in the world. Um, and it's so competitive and it's so crazy and the apartments are so expensive and you have to have like incredible qualifications. Um, and right now we're actually in the middle of a lottery process where basically these really nice, really awesome apartments, a few of them in every of these nice buildings are given away at basically a discount so the buildings can get a huge tax break. Um, and I unfortunately can't go into too much of it right now because we're still in, of course, in sure. the middle of it and we every day there's a new roller coaster ride regarding it um, but we're almost mm. done with it and either way we'll know soon whether or not we got the apartment hopefully we did but we don't know and um, that's just one of my favorite things about the city is everything in your life can change in a second and whether that's for right. the better or for the worse and for some reason, that is something that I still love about the city, even if it is for the worst. It's still there's that opportunity that your life could be forever changed in a huge way in an instant. Um, right. And I like that. That is very cool. And what was your first official paying gig once you moved to the city as an actor? As an actor, my first paying gig was touring with a children's theater show called Skippy John Jones. And it was an amazing experience. I got to tour the entire West coast in like middle America. And I had never been there before. We, I met like we started like in Arizona and then we went to Las Vegas and then we went to LA and then we went up the West coast and it was just, I had the time of my life and I was getting to perform this show that was all about like Latinos and the entire cast were Latinos. Um, And the storyline, it's based on a very popular children's book called Skippy John Jones. And to summarize the story, it's basically a Siamese cat, Skippy John Jones, who I played, who wants to be a Chihuahua. And so he literally goes into the closet and has all of these wonderful, fantastical adventures as a Chihuahua. And then at the end of the show, he comes out of the closet and his mom is like kind of mad at him. And he has to tell his mom that he wants to be a Chihuahua. So I think there's a lot of parallels there with, you know, the LGBT experience and things like that. And so just to get to perform that for kids all around the country was just, so cool and and I really loved it that's fantastic and I'm sure you've worked on all kinds of projects obviously but talk about how important it is to you or meaningful that you're able to work on gigs like that that incorporate your proud Latin heritage and your LGBT community that's got to be kind of amazing it it it's the best I mean you know when you get into when you're an actor 
all you want is a job and like kind of any job will do because, you know, there's few and far between. And so you have to take what you can get um, in order to like pay your bills or to go up in your career or to do whatever. But when you get to work on those jobs and perform those characters that are so meaningful to you and tell a part of your story as well and being Hispanic, Mexican-American, and being LGBT, those stories hadn't been told. Now we're seeing them told so much more. But before, you know, we haven't heard those stories very much, um, especially the combining of the two of Hispanic and LGBT. And I've been very fortunate enough to work on a very good amount of those projects that tell those stories. And that is where... It, it really is not a job. It's something that I to do and I could do forever. And it feels like I'm on vacation. And a few times I've gotten to meet audience members afterwards. And I've gotten to hear these stories about how what we did on stage really changed their minds and really opened their eyes to some other experience that they weren't aware of. And I've gotten to see people change and their hearts change and their minds change of their views of LGBT people or Hispanic people or trans people or anything like that. Um, And to know that I've had some small hand in shaping the world a little more into what I would like it to be is just, such an honor and I'm so grateful and I can never thank those people enough who put on those projects and who cast me in those roles. That is awesome, Joshua. Good for you, man. Then talk about some of these regional premieres. I mean, talk about some high profile work that resonates strong in our community. You're in spring awakening and hit the wall, which is all about Stonewall, which is so important coming off of pride month last month. Talk about Mm -hmm. their show. So, Both of those shows were done at Water Tower Theater, which is in Addison, Texas, which is a little suburb of Dallas. So getting to, you know, go back home and go to Texas and perform these shows with this subject matter that many Texans aren't necessarily used to um, was just such a wonderful experience. Um, especially Hit the Wall. That one is, that show is so entrenched in the gay community and um, the experience and the start of the gay pride movement, you know. It's the Stonewall Riots. And the artistic director of Water Tower Theater, she actually directed the show. And she was such a genius because she knew that this show would be hard for a lot of her audience. You know, it's a very conservative audience. Um, It's a lot of um, usually just in the theater in general. It's just a statistic that most theater goers are middle-aged to elderly people. So to have a show that is just people of all different colors, um, of all different Uh, ranges of the LGBT spectrum 
which is so cool. And so she was a genius in that she knew it was going to be hard for them. So she scheduled all of these community engagement events around the show. So one night we would oh, have wow. a talk back. One night she would bring in LGBT teens of the community and they would do a talk back. One night she brought in the author of the play and he did a talk back. So she really engaged the community, the community of Dallas to be like, hey, I know that these things may be hard for you to watch or hard for you to understand, but we're going to present it and then we're really going to invite you to come talk to us about it because we know it's difficult, but we just want to start a conversation. And I got to wit all that summer of performing that show, I got to witness countless people being changed and like countless people just coming and being like, I actually had no idea that this was what it was like for gay people, especially at the time of Stonewall. And they were, they were just baffled at how they had held all of these views and all of these prejudices without even knowing any of the history or how it could, how life could be for a gay person. Um, right, right. And it was just, it was just so wonderful. And it was, it was just wonderful. That's fantastic. Now let's talk about TV a little bit. Um, you've done quite a different things on different mediums through there. And New York mm-hmm. has really been re-energized lately. Things like Madam Secretary coming back. And I know. Vancouver were such hubs for everything. And, but New York yeah. has really to come back in television. That's got to be kind of fun. A lot of auditioning for stuff like that these days. Yes, it has been it has been so fun. You know, I was born and raised in the theater. I consider myself a theater person. Um, but here lately I've actually been so I've been energized myself at the film opportunities and the T V opportunities. Um and so yeah, it's been a very exciting time for actors in New York to, you know, when we're not in a show, hey, maybe we can go book this film and T V gig and go shoot that to, you know, pay our rent. Right. Um, so that's been so fun and I've gotten to see you know, I've gotten to work on these gigs and I've gotten to so, see so many of my friends work on these gigs and uh, it's just been a blast. Nice. So talk about the smart squad you worked on. That sounded really interesting to me. Yes, that was a project I did last year and I, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about it. It is, so it's kind of like a TV series, kind of like, um, it's kind of hard to describe. So think of like a fun like TV series aimed at teens and it follows four main characters and they are all LGBT boys and it is four they go through all of these situations and things to help teach the audience, the viewers about LGBT sexual health. And so wow, that's awesome. It's really cool and it's being incorporated in this big LGBT youth sexual education program and it's kind of it's already up and running and I think you can go to like search smart squad or search like smart impact program it was all headed up by these researchers at Northwestern who were realizing that a lot of the STD and HIV infections were happening in men who have sex with men in the ages of like 15 to 22 
and people were realizing there's no gay sex ed anywhere. Right. And so they formulated this huge educational program, and along with it is this really awesome, like, basically television series that the students will get to watch as well, as long as, along with all the things that they're learning and the different lesson plans and things like that. Um, so it's so cool, and I can't wait for more of this type of stuff to happen because I know I barely got sex ed, let alone LGBT sex ed. So, like, I can't even imagine right. having something like this when I was growing up. Um, uh, it's, it's that just is so awesome. awesome. That is definitely new. That is very cool. So talk about um, what would be some of your dream roles, anything that you're hoping that they'll bring back on Broadway or any uh, any uh, collabs with any writers or, or uh, directors you'd like to work with while you're there? Oh, I could talk about this forever, Scott. <laughs> I, <bet. laughs> I could talk about this forever. Um, honestly, as like cheesy and weird as it sounds, my one of my number one dream roles is to play Seymour Krellborn in Little Shop of Horrors. Nice. So like I still one of my favorite songs ever. I love it. That's awesome. I absolutely love that show so much. I think it gets slept on so much and I really like I think I'm still too young, so if they can wait a little while and then do an awesome <laughs> revival and make it like super dark and seedy. And like really, really focus on the dark undertones of that show. Uh, I think it'd be I so love cool. it. That is awesome. I love that. And any exciting things you're going out for now that you don't want to jinx, but you're kind of hoping comes your way? How, how's, yes. How's the audition going? <laughs> it's going so very well. Um, I mean, it is summer right now, so it is slow, a little bit slow. It'll pick up more like in August and September. Um, but there are right. a few things I'm waiting to hear back on. Um, I can't talk about it, of course, as the things work. Of course, um, of course. But there's one thing in particular that I'm really, really, really crossing my fingers for. So we'll see. You never nice. know in this life, good man. That way. <laughs> and then talk to me real quick, just for my listeners, as an insider in New York City, what should people who are visiting do to get a great theater experience? Is there any... Uh, trade or area to visit off Broadway, or what's your biggest recommendation for anyone that comes from out of town that wants to hit theater? Um, what, what's your best recommendation? Yeah, my biggest recommendation is Broadway. We all love it. It's amazing. They do amazing work, but there is so much more. There is so much more to Broadway. Do your research. Try to figure out what off-Broadway or what downtown theater shows are going on at the time. There are so many awesome companies that are doing such amazing work, even with name actors or actors who you may never have heard about. Um, and I also would say check out the Brooklyn theater scene. There's lots of crazy, immersive or or just avant-garde type of theater work, cabaret-ish, burlesque-ish nice. type theater work that is happening in Brooklyn. So check out Brooklyn. My favorite show in Brooklyn is Then She Fell. It is a, an immersive dance-based theater piece that takes place in like an old abandoned hospital ward. It's so cool. Go see it. I it's love amazing. It. Nice. 
you're going to have to be my little Tommy tour guy when I come to New York in September. Of October. course, of that. course. Just That's let me know when, and I'll set you up. <laughs> All righty. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to let Sam play us out to break here for in a couple of seconds. When we come back, I want to talk to you all about Sweet Husbands TV because I love myself some sweets and I need to find me a husband, Josh. I'm telling you that. Right. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We're talking to Joshua Gonzalez. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Blog Talk Radio.
righty, we are back. That was Damien Escobar with Freedom. Guys, we're talking to actor and social media food entrepreneur Joshua Gonzalez here. Josh, all my guests know I'm a huge foodie. I love that you and your husband, Matt, have created your own YouTube channel. It's called Sweet Husbands. And you guys also do these fun live Instagrams we told you about a little bit. Tell us how this um, mystery foodie partner in crime, you and Matt, got together and decided <laughs> to do this. It's kind of fun. It's so fun. So so I, all of my life, have been like a baker, and I also have a huge sweet tooth. Um, Matt, his whole life, has had a huge sweet tooth and has enjoyed baked goods. And so whenever people would come visit New York, they would always be like, hey, where should we go? Where should we go? And the only places me and Matt would ever give them would be like bakeries or cookie shops or cupcake (laughs) shops. And so we kind of became like the go-to, like all of our friends and family knew that we were the go-to experts for all of the sweets around New York. So then we thought, hey, why don't we actually like share this with more people? Plus, we get to hang out with each other and work with each other, which we both love to do. We're really good at working with each other. And we also get to stuff our faces with sweets. And so that is how Sweet Husband TV was born. (laughs) I love that. And I have to have insider's knowledge. I don't think I've seen it on one of your videos yet. But I was obsessed with Newsies. And all I'd hear about is Schmackery's cookies. Are they as good as they're supposed to be? They are They are better than you think. Schmackery's is and probably will always be my favorite cookie. They are so, so good. You just have to come oh get some when you're in town. They are so good. They all have a healthy dose of salt, which is what I love. Mm, they, ha- they, all yeah. are, they all have a slight salty taste to them, which is so good and a sweet. You don't understand, uh, Josh. I I was a big guy for a long time. I'm still a big guy, but I've recently lost 150 pounds, and I could gain it all Wow, congrats. Spending two weeks. Thank you, but I think two weeks with you and your husband, and I would be back to it again. It's just no. crazy. I love no. everything you guys do. Um, now, Thank who does you. all the editing and everything? Because they're fun. They're edited. They're a little fun. You have some fun stuff to it. How they're, did you they're, out and who had the uh, skills? So I, like, through school randomly, like, one of those, like, weird skill classes, I had taken a video class. So, like, there I learned how to make all these movies and all these little clips and movies and things like that. And I had always done that. Um, So I started out doing most of the editing and, like, putting it all together. And then Matt was like, hey, I actually want to do, like, then this and this and this and, like, add in some more fun ideas. And I was like, I love that. I don't know how to do that. And he figured it out. And so it's been kind of like a collaboration. Um, But I think now I go ahead and I do like the rough editing, and then he goes in and adds in all the bells and whistles. Nice. That's a great collab. I like that. Yeah. That's working together well. Now, the thing I do hate is we talk about this, and I talk about losing weight. You guys have this fantastic show about all these decadent foods, and you're both such good-looking, skinny little bitches with clear, <laughs> clear skin. I mean, you must have the best filters in the world. How the hell do you do all this? I don't understand how you can do this once a week and still look like you guys look. <laughs> well, thank you. That is the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Um, <laughs> we that is That is something that we get asked a lot, and we can only tell you, like, usually on shoot days, that's like all we eat 
because once you've eaten like four donuts, you just can't eat anything <laughs> else. Um, we also right. live in New York City. So luckily in New York, you're constantly walking around. You're constantly going up and down stairs. You're constantly right. active and standing, you know. And we also have pretty good workout regimens where we work out probably, you know, four to five times a week. Um, because we know, we know as soon as we stop any physical activity or as soon as we don't work out, we would just become different people. <laughs> <laughs> become different people. I absolutely love it. Let's go ahead. I want to take a quick secret. I kind of sewed a couple things together from your episode. Oh, my gosh. Sam, Sam, I want you to put uh, Joshua and I in listen mode with you so we can listen to the clip. We're going to go ahead and play a little bit of Sweet Husbands. It's available on YouTube. They try to put together a new episode every Saturday. We'll be back on the other side in just a couple of minutes here. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey, guys. Hi there, folks. Oh, my God. Hey, guys. Hola. Hey, guys. Welcome to Sweet Husbands TV. I'm Joshua. I'm Matt. And we are the Sweet Husbands. Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. An addictive personality. But oh, 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 I think I want to see. If you want to make sure you're up to date on all of our sweet adventures, make sure you subscribe. We'll be posting videos every Saturday for you. I'm ready to experience all that you're willing to give and show. Okay, guys, so on today's episode, we picked um, one of Matt's favorite places, and that is Donna Bell's Bake Shop. Donna Bell's Bake Shop in Midtown Manhattan, well, like Hell's Kitchen, West Midtown Manhattan, that area. So, Donna Bell's, tell us more about it, Matt. So, these three best friends decided to get together and create this bake shop. One of them, it's named after one of their mothers. Uh, and they also created a cookbook, which you may have seen in your local Barnes & Noble. Okay, so Donna Pels is known for their... Butter. <laughs> they are known for their butter <laughs> because they are known as a southern baking shop. They sell, like, a lot of the bakers that you would find down south where we're from, like, um, cornbread and scones and big, huge, buttery biscuits and things like that. So we have a sampling of a couple of those things for you today. Yes. So my pick, which was my my favorite thing there that I get every time I go, is a banana scone. And it, first of all, it's huge. Huge. It's as big as my face. And it has these chunks of banana in it, which is just, like, I love it. It's so big and fluffy and, like, just buttery. Again, they're known for their butter. It is a southern oh. bakery. Okay. Like you can taste the banana. It's so strong, but in the best way. Like, mm -hmm. if you love banana, I mean, what do you think this glaze is on them? Is it orange or is it like what? banana? While well, he's figuring that out. I also just love how crunchy the top is. It's like you're not getting bogged down too much by the dryness of a scone, because scones tend to be kind of dry. But the crunchiness of the glaze mm. and the banana on top really does it for me. So I think it may just be like a normal like sugar glaze. There may be some more banana flavor in there because there's so much banana flavor coming out everywhere. So as far as the baked goods go, what is your rating, Josh? So my rating is 
pretty, pretty good. Um, I appreciate the rustic, the butter, all that jazz. I would give this mm, four sweets. I would give this four sweets. They're very, very good, very consistent. I can definitely count on this as something great, but it's not quite the best I've had. Alright. Oh, you're gonna get me in trouble. I've got an addictive personality. But oh, 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 I think I wanna see just how bad you may be for me. Cause what's the point of living if you're too afraid to let yourself go? And we are back. You don't even know how much I love banana foods here, Joshua. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's- you guys do such a great job. That's fantastic, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. It even made me want to go out and get a base good. <laughs> well, the first thing we got to talk about is the theme song. Who is this handsome gay Joey Contreras, and where can I get one? That is such a cool song. Um, you, I love that. He is amazing. You definitely should check him out. You should have him on the show, even. He is a amazing, amazing pop slash musical theater song, singer, songwriter, musician. Um, he's so cool. Uh, check him, I'll send you his info because he's amazing. And everyone, look up Joey Contreras. He is one of our dear friends and also just one of the coolest artists around. Well, you are going to be my booking agent, my friend. Get him on this show. That was <laughs> it, The title is Love Wildly and it's from his Young Kind of Love album. I already yes. bought the album because I thought it was so fun. He, he is really talented, so that's very he cool. He is so we'll good. to get him on the show. Let's of talk course. about that now. That um, bakery, actually one of the three owners is Polly Perrette, who was on NCIS, which I absolutely love. And she's such a great ally to the community yes. and everything yes. she's done fundraising-wise. How do you guys end up picking where you're going to go? to these different places. Is it just sure. favorites, or do you hear about it, or are you getting recommendations so, now? At the beginning, um, it was just our favorites. We were, like, dead set on, like, showcasing our favorite places of New York and, like, that aren't, like, chains or that, that people don't know about, especially if they don't live here. Right. So it started out as all of our favorites, um, and now uh, it's become – people sending in the recommendations. They're like, oh, my God, I want you to do this place. Oh, my God, I want you to do this place. Oh, my God, I want you to do this place. And we have a list of, like, 150. Um, oh, but we je- we haven't, you know, it'll take time to get through them all. And also, our lives have been kind of a little bit on hold because of this apartment thing. But once we're almost right. done with it, and once it's done with it, lots more episodes are going to be coming your way, and we're just going to be making our way down that list. And if anyone has any suggestions, they can comment on any of the videos, leave their suggestion, and we'll be sure to check it out. Nice. And you guys really do kind of get detail into it. I mean, you can tell you have a little experience in the in the department there of sweets. And I love that you guys did it on a cruise ship as well. And you get little <laughs> sneaky things on how you get them and everything. I mean, you really have some fun behind-the-scenes moments. So that's got to be kind of fun to do. And I'm sure people learn something every time. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal to just share. And our where has deal. been your absolute favorite? Have you come? Have you had a suggestion yet that you have not heard about, and that you've just turned on that you absolutely loved it? You know, actually, it was our very, very first one, um, Chalk NYC. We had never heard of it, 
we were just like walking in the Inwood neighborhood and we saw this bakery and we were like, hey, let's go check it out. And we went and we ate there and the croissants and the chocolate croissant and the pastry work was out of this world for this bakery that is nowhere near tourist Manhattan. It's nowhere near in like downtown or any of the popular areas. And so we were definitely that, I think that was the final turning point of we like, of we realizing we wanted to shout out all the amazing work in the world. We were like, no, we have to let everyone know this bakery is absolutely amazing. And to make the trip up to Inwood to have their desserts because it's so good. That is fantastic. And there are so many great foodie destinations now. If you guys had unlimited budget, what would be your three top destinations to go treat hunting at? Where where in the world would you guys like to go? Any any oh dream places? My gosh, I'm dying to go to Japan. I love mm, nice. I love their flavors. I love how they work in flavors that we aren't used to into their desserts. So Japan is definitely like the top of my list, um, like Tokyo or whatever. Um, and I do want to go to Paris to visit all the French patisseries and like, you know, get to maybe tour around where all the French pastry making started. Um, and as for my third place, I'm not sure. It would probably be somewhere like Latino Hispanic, like maybe like deep into Mexico so I can try like some of my heritage's authentic treats and things, nice. you know? I love that. I could see you and Matt on a bicycle built for two little baguettes out of the bag. That would be so cool. Yes. Uh, <laughs> dreams. I'll take that picture. Too much fun. <laughs> Have you ever thought, I mean, such a, you guys are having fun on your own. Have you ever thought, is there anyone you might want to collab a video with? Everything in YouTube now is collabed with other people. Anything you've ever, and you do invite guests into your shows too, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've had, we definitely have, you know, some of our friends be guests on the show just so we can have like their opinion and things like that. And plus it's just fun. It, we just start and do it because it's so fun and we want to involve our friends in having fun. Um, but collabs, uh, the only people who I can think of who I would like absolutely die to have collabs with are all like my favorite pastry chefs or like people who have influenced the pastry world. Like Christina Tozzi is like one of my idols right. and I would absolutely love to have her on an episode of Sweet Husbands TV. Um, or um, what's his name? Zumbo. Uh, Alexander Alessandro Zumbo, Andre Zumbo. I forget his first name. The Australian pastry chef guy who's just so amazing. Um, Yeah, I would have him on. So I guess just like giant celebrities who would never be on, I guess is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That is so awesome. I can't believe that 45 minutes has flown by us already. We have to have Matt come on in the next show because we just need to have the two of you together. You are so cute on your own, and the two of you on your channel are just amazing <laughs> to watch. Thanks for being on the Left of Straight show, my friend. Thank you for having me. Thank you so, so much. And keep on doing the show because it's such an amazing resource, and I absolutely love it. I appreciate it. Before you go, I want you to give everyone your uh, where they can find you on YouTube and your social media and anything else. If we have any uh, any people that are in charge of auditions and they need an actor, where can they find you guys? <laughs> where can they find so, you? 
for Sweet Husbands, you just go to YouTube slash Sweet Husbands TV, and that's where you can find it. And you can also find everything at Sweet Husbands TV. And for me personally, all you casting directors out there, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Josh Wadham. That is at J-O-S-H-W-A-D-A-M. Very, very cool. Well, my friend, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on. We'll have to have you back real soon. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to have Sam take us to a break in just a couple of seconds. So stick around. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Virginia, how we just couldn't sleep in the bed that you made. We gonna run to now. We gonna run to now. Radio on, coffee black in your cup. Don't know where you're going. Only know you can't stop. We gonna run to now.
All righty, we are back. That was our buddy Matt Van Fossen with Where Are You Going to Run To Now? Guys, thanks so much for listening to the Left of Straight show today. A big shout-out to our guest. Thank you, Eris. Appreciate being able to talk to you. It's amazing music. Please go check it out. And, again, thanks to Josh Gonzalez and Sweet Husbands TV. You need to check out their YouTube channel. And if you're going to New York, take the recommendations, my friends. Believe me. Another great week of Left of Straight Radio. Be sure to tune in the rest of the week. Tomorrow we have a brand new report coming up and our brand new show, Astro Kiki Radio at 6. Always Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday while standing on my soapbox. And uh, so don't miss any of that. Next week on the Left of Straight shows, on Monday, we're going to have a fantastic show with Dan Carter. He runs Danimal Hot and Naked Yoga out of New York City. That's going to be a fun conversation. And singer Hayden Joseph. And then on Tuesday, we will have from Broadway Fights AIDS, we're going to have the founder, Neil, on. He's going to bring a special guest with him. And our good buddy Josh Orozco has a new single coming out this week. And we're going to talk to him all about it next week. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Follow us on the Instagram and Twitter and all the social media at Left of Straight on YouTube and Facebook, The Left of Straight Show, and subscribe on all your favorite uh, podcast distributors, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all the good stuff. Have a great rest of the week. Appreciate you tuning in. Bye-bye.